for live mayor recording in progress i'd like to call to order this city council meeting of march the 21st 2033 2023 to order tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting community members are welcome to join us either in person or remotely through zoom or by telephone clerk will you please call the roll Councilmember Nixon. Here. Councilmember Black. Here. Councilmember Curtis. Here. Councilmember Falcone. Here. Councilmember Pascal. Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Here. Mayor Sweet. Here. Thank you. Our study session tonight is on a parks funding exploratory committee recommendation for a potential park ballot measure and also to review a draft recreation and aquatic center feasibility study. We expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 7:30. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor, members of the council. So as you all know, I am remote today due to a positive COVID test, but uh, we have the two deputy city managers are actually in the audience in the chamber. So in the unlikely event I freeze or get shut down, they will take over for me. So uh, thank you all for your flexibility. Uh, so tonight, as you mentioned, we're here to hear about the incredible work of our Parks Funding Exploratory Committee and their preliminary recommendations. Um, the whole study session is devoted to this tonight to make sure we get all your questions answered. At the very end of the meeting, we'll be looking for some direction from the council on next steps about potential exploration of options and community outreach. Um, and with that, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to Lynn Zwagstra, who's our Parks and Community Services Director. Well, thank you. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor and Deputy Mayor and City Council members. Thank you for having us this evening. Uh, we will be bringing the results of the Parks Funding Exploratory Committee uh, with six months of work behind it. Uh, and we have several staff members here this evening who are going to be talking to you. On screen, we have our Deputy, uh, Deputy Department Director, John Lloyd. Um, behind me, we have Hillary De La Cruz, who is our Management Analyst and the Project Lead for the Ballot Measure. We have Mary Gardaki, our Park program and planning manager, who is the project lead for the feasibility study. Uh, we also have Jason Filan, our parks manager, and Sarah Rock, our communications specialist. And over here, we also have Sarah Schellenbarger, our recreation manager. So lots of folks here to help answer questions. All right, on that note, I'm gonna hand it over to Hillary to get started. Good evening, council members. In tonight's presentation, we are gonna cover the information from the PFEC report, which you all received in your council packets. We have 48 slides, which include many photos of PFEC in addition in action um, and charts and data from PFEC meetings. We're going to cover highlights about the PFEC process and do a deep dive into PFEC results. And on the screen, you'll just see the outline of the materials included in the PFEC report. And tonight, um, Tonight we are going to be seeking direction from council about um, three, these kind of three topic areas, including exploring alternate facility sizes, council's thoughts about the PFAC recommendation and community survey scope and timeline. And we'll revisit those at the end of the presentation. So before we dive into the PFEC process, we wanted to start by giving you a preview of the PFEC base package recommendation so that you can keep it in mind while we go through the rest of the presentation. At the March 2nd meeting, 92% of PFEC members agreed on a base, element pa pa base package with elements that are on the screen. At least one aquatic, this, um, excuse me, this base package would include at least one aquatics and recreation facility, 
plus the top five other elements, which are on the screen. So that would be nine year-round restrooms, green loop trail segments, seven sports courts, teen programs and KTEL operations, and increased lifeguard hours and water safety programs. Lynn will talk more in depth about this recommendation after I share the PFEC process that led to this recommendation, but we wanted you to have this in mind while we're going through the presentation. So what brought us here today? The 2022 PROS plan update had input from over 4,700 Kirkland community members that identified community needs, which were then turned into potential ballot measure elements considered by PFEC. I just wanted to share two of the highlights of the survey um, with the PROS plan. When responding to what the most um, important needs are for improvement, the top needs were an indoor aquatic center, new parks in the northeast area of Kirkland, indoor recreation center, new parks in my neighborhood, more free and non-fee-based special events and activities, splash pads, and other water play features. And then when asked what actions would increase your participation, top actions included year-round restrooms, recreation center or indoor aquatics complex, better lighting and security, better condition maintenance of parks and facilities, and improved communications about offerings, more parking, and more facilities or amenities. In March 2022, as you know, Council passed Resolution R5514 to create a new work program item to explore a potential ba park ballot measure. In August of 2022, Council established PFEC. Tonight we are um, reporting about the PFEC findings, and Council has between now and July 18th to decide what action or to take action to place a ballot measure or measures on the November 23 ballot. So this group here on the screen, which includes many but not quite all of our PFEC members, represents the 45 dedicated PFEC members who volunteered their skills, expertise, experience, and leadership to this process. And staff wants to share our deep appreciation for them, some of whom are in this room. PFEC was established by council in August 2022, and during the month of August, city staff led an active public process to recruit PFEC members using a hybrid approach. Half of the PFEC members were recruited through an open application process between August 4th and August 29th. Half of the PFEC members were recruited from organizations identified by council, which include, but are not limited to, the Neighborhood Associations, Senior Council, Kirkland Park Board, Chamber of Commerce, Kirkland Downtown Association, Kirkland Parks and Community Foundation, Kirkland Promotores, the Lake Washington Institute for Technology, Lake Washington School District, Northwest University, Splash Forward, and Evergreen Health Hospital. 32 total specific organizations were invited to participate in PFEC, but some groups did not have the capacity to participate. Members each dedicated over 50 hours to this process um, during their 13 meetings and between meetings. They asked hundreds of questions, all which staff answered. So PFEC met about twice a month starting on September 15th and ending on March 2nd, 2023. There were 12 meetings and a tour of the Sammamish Community and Aquatic Center. In 2022, the meetings focused on education, starting with tours of Juanita Beach Park. And then we had also had a tour of Peter Kirk Park. The PFEC report has summaries for each meeting and materials that were reviewed by PFEC members. PFEC members learned about all about the pros plan community needs and priorities in our current parks and community services operations. Toward the end of 2022, PFEC members took a deep dive into property tax, potential funding ballot funding mechanisms available for parks-related ballot measures and the city's budget while preparing to shift toward decision-making meetings in 2023. 
PFAC members also toured the Sammamish Community and Aquatic Center, which was a great opportunity for them to see what these facilities look like in reality, both before and after reviewing potential facility concept plans from consultants. In 2023, the me meeting shifted to focus on prioritization and recommendations. At the first meeting, staff provided PFEC members with three tools used during their discussions and deliberation, which I'm going to briefly share about. PFEC members reviewed their ballot element flashcards for the first time at their January 12th meeting. This example on the screen is an example of one of the elements flashcards front and back, and council all received a deck of these cards in January as well. Staff worked to cost 22 potential elements from the pros plan. This included 15 capital focus elements with things that would require construction and seven operating focus elements, which are things that require people and supplies. Throughout the PFEC process, estimated costs for each potential ballot measure element were primarily discussed using the annual estimated cost to a 1 million valued home in 2023 dollars. We use this rather than the estimated annual cost to a median valued home or the estimated tax levy rate. Using the estimated cost to a $1 million, $1, um, $1 million valued home provided a more tangible number for PFEC members to consider well and resulted in easier math for scaling up or down from $1 million to estimate the impact to a certain home. Um, just for your reference, the 2023 updated median home value, which um, was published in February 2023 in Kirkland is $1,238,000. And in 2022, the median home value was $880,000. Annual costs were generally presented combining the annual operating costs and annual payment on debt service for capital costs related to each element. So most numbers that you'll see tonight and throughout the report are the combined annual operating costs plus the capital costs unless we specify otherwise. And all elements were costed in 2023 dollars with the exception of facilities which were costed using 2025 dollars to account for the magnitude of the facility projects. Each PFAC member also received a map of all the potential ballot measure elements with physical locations um, in January. And tonight I shared with you maps of the base package that we're talking about. Um, this on the screen is the map of all the elements, which is a lot across the city. And then um, in the left side of the screen is a snip of the um, of closer in so you can see kind of what this looks like across the city. And then the final tool that was used by PFAC members was the Balancing Act Prioritize tool. The city has used Balancing Act Simulate to gather community input during past city budget processes. And for, during PFEC, members completed four Balancing Act priority exercises in January and February. Results of these are in the PFEC report, and I will share highlights of some of the results in the coming slides. Each of the 2022, excuse me, each of the 22 potential ballot measure elements were entered into the Balancing Act with a card that had the annual cost estimate for the $1 million valued home and in various iterations of the Balancing Act, PFEC members were asked to select elements they would include in the ballot measure and rank the elements in their priority level. By the final Balancing Act, number four, the cap dollar amount of $260 annually to the million dollar home was used as a, at the request of PFEC to choose elements that fit within the general median cap amount that most PFEC members estimated would be a good size for a ballot measure. Later in January, PFEC had a presentation from the Aquatics and Recreation Feasi Facility Feasibility Study Consultants, OPSIS Architecture, to hear about concept plans and related costs. And this was the same presentation that OPSIS shared with Council at the study session on February 21st. During the four meetings in February and March, PFEC members engaged with one another on a series of small and large group conversations. They, that's the 
Um, they also did some dot voting at some meetings. And they, seems like the slides are a bit out of order here. I apologize. Um, they also did some voting by hand and as well as um, poll everywhere voting and had a lot of different engaging ways to um, gather PFEC input during the meetings. In total, 41 of the 45 PFEC members, or 92%, participated significantly in the final meetings and between meeting decision-making activities in 2023. And finally, um, at the scheduled meeting on March 2nd, the last scheduled meeting, 36 PFEC members and three votes by proxy participated in a series of votes that were outlined in the PFEC report and we will highlight tonight. At the end of the meeting, staff suggested that PFEC reconvene in early May to provide further recommendations to council based on the forthcoming community survey data, council conversations, and potential additional information from feasibility study consultants. We also celebrated as it was really important to mark this major accomplishment of PFEC after six months together. So before we dive into the results, I guess this is part of the results, we want to share some of the key messages that PFEC members had um, to communicate with the public and council. And so these are on your screen, and I'm just gonna read these out because I think they're um, important and from the voices of some PFEC members. So PFEC members were focused on having something for everyone, wanted to share that PFEC knows that the Kirkland community love their parks and community services, and that they want to support additional services and amenities. PFEC listened to the PROS plan community input along with existing parks programming services, Kirkland's geographical access to existing park amenities, and income ranges to form our choices. PFEC brought together a diverse group of residents and community organizations that took our community's input and interests to heart in our work. PFEC received ample information on how Kirkland Parks operate and, and on existing programs. All of our questions received responses that were shared with the entire PFEC group. And cost of a potential ballot measures was another key element. And overall, PFEC members cared about passage and finding something that community members would want. And so as we're moving into talking about the PFEC results, there were three key questions that guided what PFEC's collaborative work toward a recommendation. And these were revisited time after time and included what should the community buy, how should we fund it, and do you think it will pass? PFEC discussions demonstrated the interconnectedness of this question, these questions and the difficulty of answering one question without simultaneously making another decision. So there are kind of additionally three topic focus areas for PFEC that we'll be discussing much tonight. This includes facilities. Does PFEC recommend one, two, or no facilities? And if one facility, which location and what size? If two facilities, what sizes? Other elements. What other elements does PFEC recommend including in the ballot measure? And what dollar amount would people be willing to pay for the ballot measure package? And how much would PFEC recommend for facilities and how much for other elements? At the end of the March 2nd meeting, PFEC members had provided a recommendation of a base ballot measure package. However, there wasn't clear agreement on most other major questions because a key component of the options was whether it would be more likely to help a potential ballot measure pass. PFEC concluded that the community survey work with additional public input was necessary to provide further recommendations. Before we dive deeper, I just wanted to into the majority base package recommendation. I also wanted to note that there was an opportunity for PFEC members to provide minority report opinions as are shared on page 33 of the PFEC report. 
And so we're back to this slide that we shared in the beginning of the PFAC-based recommendation. And as a reminder, 92% of PFAC members voted to recommend to council this base package for a ballot measure, including at least one aquatics and recreation facility, year-round restrooms, green loop trail segments, seven new sport courts, teen programs and KTOP operations, and increased lifeguard hours and water safety programs. And I wanted to highlight that these, um, especially the other a facility has generally always been at the top of PFEC's mind. Then when looking at other elements, these are the top five elements that really ranked top of PFEC's prioritization in both their second, third, and fourth balancing act and the adopt priority um, exercise they did in February. So they had continued to remain toward the top. And now I'm going to turn it over to Lynn to share more details about these six elements and that are part of the base recommendation. Thank you, Hillary. Okay, I'm gonna um, apologize in advance for the voice and uh, for stopping to drink throat coat tea. <laughs> Coming off that nasty virus. All right, so we're gonna be first talking about an aquatics and recreation um, facility. As Hillary mentioned, um, the base recommendation included at least one aquatics and recreation facility. Potential locations are the Houghton Park and Ride and the North Kirkland Community Center Park. The OPSIS architecture feasibility study yielded five different facility options with four different facility sizes, each with the different components. This information is extremely informative in that it gives us an idea about site work costs and shows us the different facility program elements and the impact on capital and operating expenses. Each of the four sized facilities could be sited at either location. However, OPSIS recommends that the smaller two options uh, be considered per NKCC due to site fit. One last item of note is these are concept plans uh, for the purpose of determining feasibility and interest. Um, they are not designs. Designs would begin upon uh, passage of a ballot measure. The question of size, location, and number of facilities has yet to be decided, and we will be seeking council direction on that this evening. Now into the super fun stuff. Okay, we're gonna talk about um, the different types of facilities that were of most interest. Uh, and the first one of most interest is a recreation pool. Recreation pools are ideal for swim lessons, water play, open swim, water walking, group exercise, and therapy. We would use the pool for all of these functions. Modeling from Ballard King indicates that we could offer swim lessons in four different seasons. The summer could serve 1,500 people. And as it turns out, the Peter Kirk Pool wait list for swim lessons was 1,500 unique individuals. In the fall, winter, and spring, swim lessons could serve about 4,800 community members. Other programs that we would offer include uh, private lessons, birthday parties, private rentals, little swimmers, and a whole variety of water exercise classes. The other area of most interest is a lap pool. Lap pools are ideal for swim lessons, exercise and lap swim, water walking, deep water group exercise, swim team practice, um, swim clubs, water polo, lifeguard training, can't forget that one, and open swim. 
programs and the number of community members we anticipate serving with some of the major functions like swim team um, at the above and beyond was at the Peter Kirk pool. Swim practice for clubs uh, offered five days per week could serve approximately 3,800 community members. And then swim practice for master swim five days per week would serve approximately 5,800 community members. And on top of that, other programs like the swim lessons would also be offered. Other programs uh, in the lap pool could include private rentals, dive in movies, water exercise classes, open swim, and a variety of special events. In 2022, the Peter Kirk Pool offered 622 programs and served over 20,000 Kirkland community members. That is a 10-week season. This number could potentially be quadrupled to 80,000 participants uh, to get an indication of how the pool space could serve the community. All right, um, the third area of interest is health and fitness space. And those spaces could include functional training spaces like the photo on the left, or it could include cardio and strength training equipment like you see in the middle, or multi-purpose fitness and activity rooms like you see on the right. The recreation staff anticipate bringing a diverse set of programs to the Kirkland community um, for these specific spaces that would include aerobics, cycling, kickboxing, triathlon training, outdoor introductory safety classes, grief healing fitness classes, yoga, high intensity interval training, and um, couch to 5K classes, functional training, and then we also have um, classes geared towards BIPOC youth and adults, an outfit program, which is a no gender, no judgment program, and also pound classes, which is fitness classes, pounding on drums, not pounds as in weight. <laughs> so these programs in this type of space could serve about 15,000 community members. Gymnasiums are of paramount importance, um, and types of programs that could be offered there will be youth sports, sports leagues and clinics, open play, basketball, volleyball, pickleball, badminton, and table tennis, uh, special events, and fun things like an indoor playground like you see on the screen. Assuming a multi-purpose room is available for general programs and classes, and depending on the number of gyms available, uh, the types of programs we would provide in this space include dances, peewee sports, youth sports such as dodgeball, volleyball, or indoor soccer, adult sports leagues, youth agility and conditioning, shuffleboard for youth and adults, I bet you didn't expect to hear that one, and high volume fitness classes like hip hop, Zumba, and cardio dance. With those types of programs, we'd expect to serve 7,600 community members. And the fifth highest uh, interest is multi-purpose rooms. Multi-purpose rooms can be used for pretty much anything, depending on how you build it. We would anticipate using multi-purpose spaces to provide the following types of programs, youth and adult drawing, um, youth and adult photography, computer camps and classes, camps for film, art, Legos, and science, martial arts, first aid, support groups, book clubs, 
and speaker series. Through these programs, we would expect to serve 4,800 community members. And then there's also other types of facility spaces that we've spoken about, but were not specifically mentioned by PFEC as high interest spaces. And one of those is community gathering spaces. Community rooms and multi-purpose rooms are somewhat interchangeable. However, community rooms would typically focus on group events, uh, meetings, and special events. An example of this space is on the left-hand side. You see a large community room with a stage. And this type of space is often supported by a kitchen that you see in the bottom left below that photo. Multi-purpose rooms are typically used for programming, which we just discussed. And then the question is, can these two spaces be combined? In other words, multi-purpose rooms and community rooms. Um, well, the answer is yes. However, the caveat would be, it depends on community interest, community needs, and community size. If the two spaces are combined, you essentially cut in half the number of programs that you can offer. So I just read out a list of multi-purpose um, programs in a multi-purpose room. With a community room, um, it would be used for all types of external groups and functions. But the types of things that we would offer include performances, movies, concerts, dances, community lunches, craft fairs, and fitness fairs. And then, of course, you have a whole variety of specialty purpose rooms. And you can see a couple of those on the screen. Um, one is a music room. One is an art room. And we have a long list of different types of programs that we would bring in those spaces that would also serve thousands of people. Um, some of these programs in these specialty spaces can, in fact, be offered in a community room or a multi-purpose room. But when you talk about art programs or music programs, you can see in the top right, the art space is really custom. You need lots of cabinets for storage of a million different pieces of art equipment. You need a sink, um, the tables that can be dripped on, that type of thing. So moving on to the base five elements. This element would winterize six restrooms and add three new restrooms. Currently, we have uh, five year-round restrooms, which are at Marina Park, Totem Lake Park, 132nd Square Park, Peter Kirk Park, and Winita Beach Park. Seasonal restrooms close during the winter and portable toilets are placed throughout the park system. The three new parks would be located at McAuliffe Park, North Rose Hill Woodlands Park, and Terrace Park. The six restrooms that would be winterized um, include Crestwoods, Edith Moulton, Juanita Bay, Marsh Park, O.O. Denny, and Waverly Beach Park. And those nine, or is it seven, nine, <laughs> are brought to you, um, are recommended based on park use, but also with an eye towards um, spreading those throughout the park system. The next element is the green loop. Um, Ray Steiger with the Capital Projects team uh, did some in-depth research and modeling on the green loop trail alignment and options. He estimates that it could take approximately $23 million in 2023 funding to complete the green loop. This element includes priority segments of the green loop trail, which could include 
funding for both acquisition and trail construction. This element is located in the Fin Hill and Juanita neighborhoods. The next one is new sports courts. Um, this would fund the construction of seven new sports courts, the first one being sand volleyball at O'O Denny Park, and that would be in the Phil Fin Hill neighborhood. Uh, the other courts include a pickleball complex with three courts, a full basketball court, and two tennis courts. Each of these courts were costed based on siting them at current developed parks. However, exact location was not determined. This element would partially fund year-round operations of the Kirkland Teen Union Building as a drop-in teen center and enhance programs for youth and teens. KTUB operations would include a drop-in teen center hours seven days per week, serving about 8,500 teens just through that piece of it. It would also involve a bilingual behavioral health professional on-site, outreach to BIPOC and at-risk youth, and daytime activation for adult and preschool programs. The enhanced programs for youth and teens include year-round outdoor recreation programs, such as guided hikes, outdoor yoga, water recreation, and winter activities. And those programs could serve about 680 teens. Life skills programs, such as cooking, job skills, and financial literacy, those group of programs could serve about 220 teens. We could also offer art and music workshops, which would serve about 200 teens. We would offer active programs for physical health, and that would serve 330 teens, and then also summer camps that would serve 165 youth. There would also be a scholarship program and a free 10-week summer mobile recreation program. And finally, we have uh, this element would fund increased lifeguard hours at three lifeguarded beaches and a water safety education program including loner life jacket stations at lifeguarded beaches, life rings at all waterfront parks, and water safety education outreach activities. Currently, lifeguards are only on site from 12 to 6 p.m. daily, July 1st through Labor Day weekend. This would expand daily hours as well as add on to the operating season. And the three, beach, uh, three beaches that are currently lifeguarded are Winita Beach Park, Waverly Beach Park and Doris Coper Houghton, Houghton, Houghton Beach Parks. <laughs> All right, and on that note, I'm gonna pass it back to Hillary. So this slide um, has a table that takes everything that Lynn just talked about and distills it into the um, element name on the left the, in the middle is where the specific location for those that have locations and what neighborhood they are in that corresponds with the maps that you have in front of you as well as in your packets. And then it talks about the annual cost for the elements. And um, the total amounts, uh, these total annual costs are a combination of the annual operating costs and the annual amount needed for the debt service payments on capital costs. And if you look at the first column of numbers, that uses a 20-year bonding financing for capital elements, and the second, year, the second column uses 30-year bond financing. And so, um, and we'll talk about the facility costs in a moment. 
And as you can see at the bottom of this, if we're just looking at those five elements other than the facility, the total package um, for those five is $41.50 per year to the $1 million home for 20, using 20-year 20 financing and $37.47 per year to the $1 million home using 30-year financing. So this table here um, highlights the co total costs for each of the scenarios of the base package, with the variables being the which of the three facility options and then 20 versus 30 year financing. And these six scenarios were shared with PFEC before the March 2nd meeting, and I'll talk about some votes related to them in a moment. But just so that we all um, kind of know what numbers we're talking about, these scenarios, as you can see, range from costing $195 to the million, uh, per year to the million-dollar home for the base package of the 74,000-square-foot facility at NKCC and the other five elements to 200, and that's using 30-year financing, um, up to $272.17 per year to the million-dollar home for the Houghton largest 103,000-square-foot um, facility plus the top five elements using 20-year financing. So I'm going to share um, six more slides that have additional information about votes that PFEC members took at the March 2nd meeting. There were no additional formal recommendations reached about the items on your screen, including cap dollar amount, ballot measure type, and length of financing. Um, but the information here, I'm sure, will be helpful to Council as you are considering um, how to move forward. So this slide shows a table uh, from the fourth balancing act, which was our final balancing act exercise of PFEC. And um, the results are showing, we had a question asking PFEC members where, what cap range of $20 they would use, they would want a ballot measure to use. And so the majority package and funding mechanism weren't chosen at the final meeting, and so there, therefore there is not consensus about a cap dollar amount since that would be tied to the final recommendation. Um, but this information hopefully provides some insight to council. And this is from the polling process that generally placed the median cap range between $240 to $260 per year to the million dollar homeowner. And that um, would be the equivalent of a tax levy rate of approximately 24 to 26 cents per thousand dollars of assessed value. And then ballot measure types. So PFEC members reviewed information about potential ballot measure funding mechanisms starting in December. However, no formal recommendation was made about ballot measure funding mechanism. Again, PFEC members were really um, focused on passage and decided that they needed some more information to help there be a majority recommendation. At the February 13th meeting, PFEC, um, PFEC meeting, staff asked PFEC members what they value most related to potential ballot measure types so that staff could then bring back options that align with those values to the next meeting. The values options that we asked PFEC members about were stable and sufficient funding, passage, passage success, transparency, sustainability, simplicity, and flexibility. PFEC members overwhelmingly indicated that three values were most important to them, and those are stable and sufficient funding, passive success, and transparency. Based on those values at the February 23rd meeting, staff suggested removing the option of a metropolitan park district. Staff then presented two options for ballot measure types as shown on this slide. The two options being a one-measure permanent levy lid lift or a two-measure combo that would have both a permanent levy lid lift and a voted excess levy bond. And these on the slide are some of the information about the votes needed to pass or the expiration of property tax collection and the strengths and weaknesses of these measures. 
There was some discussion about ballot measure types at the February 23rd meeting, as well as a discussion about recent property tax increases as those updated bills had come the week before. As we all know, funding mechanisms are complicated, and with all of the decisions that PFAG members were facing, it was difficult to find enough time to have in-depth conversations about the options, especially since it's easier to talk about funding mechanisms once the contents of the ballot measure package are more clearly decided, which didn't happen until March 2nd, and still didn't happen with the exact dollar amounts. So at the March 2nd meeting, staff recommended that PFEC wait until May to recommend a specific ballot measure funding mechanism, at which time they will have more information from the community survey and council conversations. Um, so this slide brings back that um, the six scenarios and how much those cost, because we are really using this um, as a tool for PFEC members to look at when they're being asked to vote about their preferred debt service term for capital financing. So the question of whether um, PFEC would prefer 20 or 30 year debt service terms for capital financing is related to, but distinct from the ballot measure funding mechanism, since either ballot measure funding mechanism would result in the need to finance large items like a facility with bonds. Staff explained that the primary differences between 20 and 30 year financing are that 20 year financing costs more to the taxpayer annually, but is paid off sooner whereas 30-year financing costs less to the taxpayer annually, but is paid off over 10 additional years, meaning the city would end up paying more interest overall. And some of the um, pros and cons that PFEC members saw about 20 and 30-year financing are included in the PFEC report, um, including some ideas that 30-year financing could be spread across more people who would be potentially using this facility that would be around for much more than 30 years. The first, um, so I just explained kind of the first table on the slide you've seen before, and that was the six scenarios. And we, the second table shows the vote that PFEC took, the votes that PFEC took about this, and shows that they were nearly split for the length of financing. Um, after the first vote, vote one, um, PFEC members spoke to their reasoning and asked for a few more questions of staff. And as you can see in vote one, 51% supported 20-year financing and 49% supported 30-year financing. Um, after discussion, we took another vote, and 47% wanted 20-year financing and 53% wanted 30-year financing. Um, and as you can see, that difference is not significant. Um, so this table has all the costs related to the potential facilities. And as I think you've heard, and as PFEC would want to share, facilities was a main topic conversation for PFEC and whether to recommend one facility or multiple facilities for inclusion in a potential ballot measure. And this table has those costs. Um, the total project capital cost in 2025 dollars, which is um, the second column here, is used to calculate what the annual debt service payments would be, to, um, would, would be needed for either 20 or 30 year financing. And then that annual debt service amount was added to the net annual operating cost, which is the third column here. Um, for a facility option. And then this translates into what the impact would be to the million dollar home and corresponding levy rates in cents per thousand for either 20 year financing or 30 year financing. For example, to raise enough revenue to build the Houghton Park and Ride 86,000 square foot option and operate it with programs and maintenance, the city would need to levy an approximate 19.07 cents per thousand using 20-year financing or 16.17 cents per thousand using 30-year financing. PFEC members were provided with this information on January 26th, and it was frequently revisited through their discussions and the Balancing Act activities. 
And at the March 2nd meeting, when asking about their top choice facility, um, PFEG members responded, as you can see in the um, vote on the bottom of the screen. And they, um, we just asked, what is your top choice facility? And so 47% preferred the, Houghton, the largest Houghton Park and Ride 103 square foot facility. 31% um, preferred the Houghton 86,000 square foot facility. And 22% preferred the North Kirkland Community Center 74,000 square foot facility. Um, the smaller two options that were the 49,000 square foot at NKCC options were not included in the poll on March 2nd because in the final balancing act number four, nobody had included that in their recommended package. Um, but it is important to note, and the report goes into this in a little more detail, in that balancing act, there is a cap dollar amount set to $260 per year to the million dollar home. And when considering the number of facilities, um, again, PFEC is recommending at least one facility, but did not reach a clear consensus about whether to recommend that a ballot measure include more than one facility, um, or in the case of a single facility, which, where the facility should be located. And again, PFEC members really cared about passage and wanted to listen to additional community survey input. Um, it generally seemed that although PFEC members would love to see two facilities in principle, most viewed such an alternative as prohibitively expensive given the facility options that were presented. So the first table on this slide um, shows the results of three input points about one or two facilities. During the two balancing acts, which were on February 8th and February 22nd, PFEC members were able to select more than one facility if they desired to include in what they would recommend as a ballot, a ballot measure package through their individual balancing act opportunities. And then during the February 13th poll, which is the middle vote there, um, PFEC members were specifically asked if they would want one, two, or no facilities. And as indicated in this table, there was overall greater support for one facility likely due to cost constraints. Um, but that was, still wasn't a final recommendation and we'll talk about some requests for other um, scope of work in a moment. And PFIC members also shared pros and cons for one facility versus two facilities as indicated on page 36 of the PFEC report. Um, at the March 2nd meeting, staff presented two alternative options for PFEC to understand why they might um, what they might be interested in for a two-facility option. First, staff presented the idea of having an 86,000-square-foot facility at Houghton Park and Ride with a replacement of the North Kirkland Community Center at a comparable size to the current facility. Rough estimates show that the, ba the base package with the 86,000-square-foot Houghton Park and Ride option and the top five other elements and this NKCC like-size replacement could cost approximately 252000 sorry, excuse me, two hundred. And $52, um, that is just three digits, um, to, to the annual, annually to the million dollar home if you're using 30 year financing. However, more work would need to be done to um, really estimate, make sure those estimates are as accurate as possible. And some members expressed interest in this option as it would show investment in the area surrounding NKCC. And a few other members expressed disappointment with the option, thinking that it felt like a second thought after prioritizing the Houghton Park and Ride site. There was no formal vote about that option. And then the second alternative, which is on the second table you'll see on this slide, was a suggestion of putting approximately $160 million in capital toward two facilities, and then in addition having the other five elements that we talked about and the annual operating costs needed for that um, to manage those two facilities. And these two facilities could be designed in a complementary way, again, um, needing further refinement by OPSIS consultants, if that was um, something that was of interest. 
And as shown in the second table on the slide, the option was cost at an estimated $271 annually to the million dollar homeowner using 30 year financing. The option was presented with the idea that PFET could suggest this as a further exploration for council and that staff could gather community input about one or two facilities through the already planned community survey and that all of this information could support PFEC members in a refined recommendation in May. And as you'll see, 54% of PFEC members were interested in exploring this option. And now for talking about facility location, which was the final main component of conversation about facilities. PFEC members shared pros and cons for each of the two potential locations. As shared by Opsis Architecture Consultants, the Houghton Park and Ride site is already flat and is generally easier to build on with much less site costs. The North Kirkland Community Center site has more challenging topography and higher site costs due to the slope, nearby water, and other land conditions. Additionally, for each facility, arguments um, were and opinions were shared. There are many more in the report, but for each one, people could say that this facility was too far away from someone's neighborhood, and also folks raised traffic concerns about getting across the city to either facility. To try and gain more clarity about the facility location preferences, the votes on this slide were used. So we first asked um, about the location and whether what location PFAC members would choose if this facility was roughly the same size and roughly the same cost. As you can see in the first um, row there, 58% of PFAC members said they would choose the Houghton Park and Ride site and 42% prefer the NKCC site. Staff then asked if price or location was the primary decision driver for PFAC members, of whom 53% said the location was the primary driver and 47% said price was the primary driver. And then toward the end of the meeting, a few PFAC members reminded the group that while PFAC is evaluating a lot of options and a lot of scenarios, what a voter would see on a ballot measure is a statement that says, would you support X? And so we looked at that and said, let's take a vote on each of these potential options of would you support this facility size with the top five elements? Um, and we did this vote. We didn't include the specific financing term years in this, but had the table for reference of how much approximately it would cost to the million dollar homeowner. And as you can see, 91% of PFAC members indicated they would vote yes for a Houghton 86,000 square foot facility plus the top five other elements. 83% indicated they would vote yes for the NKCC 74% or sorry, 74,000 square foot facility plus the top five other elements. And 75 indicated that they would vote for the largest Houghton 130 square foot facility plus the top five other elements. And while PFAC did not make a final decision about the facility location, size, and number, they did recommend that council include at least one aquatics and recreation facility in a potential ballot measure. And in a moment, we will seek council's input about next steps for facility-related questions. So the final vote that we took was really more considered an advisory poll um, at the PFAC meeting, and we asked them to um, give an advisory poll to council about whether the city should go to the ballot in 2023 or 2024. And PFAC members were provided factors to consider, such as the King County 2023 ballot measures, a, potentially, a potential Evergreen Health Hospital capital bond measure in November 2023, and rising property taxes. PFAC members were also asked to consider the momentum from the 2022 PROS plan leading into the PFAC process and the momentum from the PFAC process, and reminded that there's always a potential reason to wait. Um, as indicated on this slide, 76% said yes to 2023. And this was the final vote on March 2nd. 
So the final slide of the presentation part of this, and I'm sure there will be lots of discussion, is really just talking through next steps in this ballot measure exploratory process. So on your screens, you can see kind of outlining the next major milestones, um, especially related to the council process. So council is scheduled to review a draft resolution accepting the PFEC report at the April 4th meeting. And as was mentioned tonight, staff recommend reconvening PFEC on May 1st to provide additional recommendations. And in anticipating that you'll provide that direction for PFEC, um, staff will write that into the resolution. And then on April 18th, council is scheduled to adopt the resolution to accept the PFEC report. Um, the statistically valid sur community survey will be in the field at some point in April and with a planned sample size of 400 people. We are currently coming under contract with EMC Research and we'll talk briefly more about this facility in a moment. And after the, um, or excuse me, about the survey in a moment. And after that survey is completed, there will be an open link version of the survey to seek broader community input as well. And if council provides direction, additional facility feasibility study work will continue in April and we'll talk about that in a moment as well. And then finally, PFEC will reconvene on May 1st, which is highlighted in bright yellow in the middle of your screen. Um, and they will review the community survey results and updates to facility information and hopefully provide further recommendations to council. And then on May 16th, council will receive the community survey results and updates to the facility information. And um, they will also receive additional information from PFEC and council um, will be discussing finalizing the projects and programs to be included in the potential ballot measures. And then in June, at the direction of council, staff will dr bring draft ordinances with ballot measure options and language to council for consideration. And in June and July, council will also need to authorize the recruitment for the pro-con committees and confirm appointments. And July 18th is the final date, the final council meeting during which council can approve an ordinance to place a ballot measure or measures on the ballot for the November 2023 ballot. And then below that, the King County election dates are included for reference and should council decide to pass, place a measure on the, or measures on the ballot, staff will ensure that all the materials are provided to King County elections following that timeline. With that, I think over to you, Vin. Okay, the first question is, um, should staff expand the scope with OPSIS architecture uh, to do some additional cost estimating for different facility options? This would just be cost estimating. It wouldn't be renderings or floor plans or anything. Um, and the, the options that we're talking to OPSIS about is to develop two complementary facilities with balanced elements between those two facilities and really focus on the highest priority spaces that have been discussed. Um, and then the second one would be to um, essentially create an NKCC replacement option, roughly about 20,000 square feet, and that could be paired with either of the two Houghton options. And so that would be able to give you a couple uh, different prices and sizes and, and options to think about. Um, Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, yeah, removing community space was one of the things that has been mentioned um, as important specifically for the larger facility to focus on um, aquatics. So we actually, when we looked at that, we did look at upsizing aquatics and taking out that community room space. Um, but again, the two facilities are complementary. And so an expansion of the scope would be an additional roughly $22,000. 
We want to see if council has interest in expanding that scope. Ready to start? Councilmember Deputy Mayor Arnold. He's waiting for me. Oh, <laughs> Councilmember Curtis. <laughs> He's being I look left super by mistake. <laughs> no, no, I just, you know, I just want to thank staff for the presentation. Um, this was a challenging task for PFEC, and they really embraced the work. Some of them are here in the room. I'm expecting a lot of them are logged on tonight or will watch it tomorrow. Um, we gave them the world to choose from. It, there were no guardrails. We said, here is everything in the pros plan that the community wants. Here are the community needs. You prioritize. Let's go from here. So I think they did a really good job. And it was actually seven months of time. And I don't think the 50 hours truly captures the time in between or the extra meetings that everyone had or the discussions on email and so forth. Um, as you saw from the report, we ping-ponged back and forth. It was an awesome, this is public process. It's messy and people get in there and people stood up and spoke and then someone else also had a good idea and I, I'm just really grateful for the process. And, but here we are. Um, I think that I would recommend that, that council does at least do the go out to the community survey to get some feedback from the community on what our options are. Um, and I think that the PFAC members because they are so invested in this process, would really appreciate the support of doing the extra um, analysis on the two, on the two options. So, thank you. Thank you, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, Councilmember Curtis, and thank you to the 45 PFAC members for all the work over the last seven months to get to this this point. I know we have some questions we're going to continue to ask, but to get to the point where we have a strong consensus around the five base elements and, and some options here is uh, amazing, amazing work. I know how hard it is to, to make this happen from a process about 10 years ago. Um, uh, through this and from the previous study session that we had, uh, I do think we need to think about what happens with North Kirkland, even with the Houghton Park and Ride site, and that was the focus of many of my questions uh, at our last study session. So having some more options here, especially thinking about how the facilities could be uh, complementary and how we could deal with costs, I think will help our discussion. So I'm in favor of the additional investment for some OPSIS study. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, first off, a huge thank you to PFEC. I know it's already been said by some of my colleagues, but you deserve many, many thank yous. So I'm gonna repeat that. Uh, this is a lot of work and not easy stuff. Uh, thank you to Councilmember Curtis for leading the group uh, and to staff who supported their work, to the consultants, and most of all, to each of the 45 community members who volunteered many, many hours of your time and thoughtful hard work. Um, Thanks those who are in the room with us tonight and those who may be watching from home. I also really appreciate the reminder in both the memo and the presentation tonight that the elements in these recommendations came directly from our community who raised these items as top priority during our work on the PROS plan last year. So we know that there's a lot of interest for this in our community. Um, before I answer the questions, I just have another question. Thank you so much for sharing how much uh, the uh, financial investment for having the consultant do the additional analysis. 
Do we have an idea of how much time it would take for them to conduct it as well? Yes, thank you for asking. They have said that they can deliver that costing information before May 1st for the PFEC meeting. Great, thank you. That's really good to know. That was the answer that I was hoping for before I then lended my support to, to that idea. I appreciate hearing from Councilmember Curtis that it's something that PFEC would likely um, appreciate having that additional analysis done. So I do support uh, both the community survey and the additional community work. Um, yeah, there are a lot of details yet to be determined. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from our community uh, and, and what they're prioritizing and what they're interested in seeing here specifically and, and then having a robust discussion in a couple months. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Paschal. Madam Mayor, yeah, I really appreciate all the work from the staff and PFEC members. Um, I guess I just, in terms of questions and comments on this specific item, is it my understanding that the additional work would cover all three of these bullets here, or are we picking and choosing what they're doing? I, I wasn't we'll cover all of them, yeah. Okay, that's great. So we get, get a variety of different options from this additional effort? Yes. Okay, that's perfect. Um, uh, in terms of comments here, um, you know, I really do think that kind of value engineering, um, you know, based upon additional input and kind of discussions is really helpful here. And the more options we have, just the, the better we can kind of hone in on what that final decision is. So definitely support this. Thanks. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I, I definitely support getting more information. And it's the right thing to do. Um, I think we owe it to the community to have looked at every possible option. Um, I am a little skeptical of the third one, honestly, because for years, um, I think every time we've looked at any of the other um, facilities around the region, they've always said that the community spaces are the only part that makes money. And if you, uh, seriously, and, and that if you remove those, then you're just going to have to subsidize the facility more. Is, has that changed or is that still the case? Well, this work is actually going to include the operational costing as well, so both revenue and expense. So we'll, we'll be able to get an, an assessment of that specifically. Okay, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. I think the, only, the comments that I'll make, and I, and I am supportive of move, moving forward with, um, with this process, but like Mr. Nixon, I, I think community spaces are what we really need. Um, I think that's that is absolutely missing from North King or from the North Kirkland facility, and Peter Kirk is maxed out about 100 percent of the time. So, um, I would be, I will be keeping an eye on that in terms of the in terms of the long term, um, and just adding my thanks to everybody else's. You guys have done an amazing body of work. Um, clearly, we need to figure out what the finish is going to be. So I think we need this additional information. And, and I think we all agree that we should move forward with it. Great, thank you. Well, thank you for your input on that. And the next kind of set of questions, we really wanted to make sure there was space for council to provide feedback on. Um, and I'll just share all three of these. At once, um, are, what are Council's thoughts on the PFEC recommendation? What are Council's thoughts on the PFEC base package recommendation? And does Council want staff to bring any other information back? 
Councilmember Pascal. I guess I'd just start off by saying that the recommendations seem pretty solid. Um, I just had a couple questions about how they kind of came to be. Um, and so the first the first one is is I was I was curious how you factored in the voices of youth in the decision of what to fund or not to fund. Um, and I'll give I'll give you an example. Uh, the reason why I think about that is because if I'm not mistake, mistake, mistaken, um, the PFAC is made up of mostly adults. Um, and so one of the things I've heard from youth for since my time on council is the lack of a skate park that is compares to any of our surrounding uh, neighbors. And I noticed that, that that didn't kind of fall within the, the top tier. And so it just kind of, I just was kind of curious how, did you elevate youth facilities a little bit because there weren't those voices on the the PFAC or how did that how did that kind of come I, I don't know who to ask this staff yeah, we're looking <laughs> yeah I'm sorry <laughs> and I appreciate that um, there were no youth on our team that's challenging as you know evenings Thursday evenings um, we had a lot of parents and so we were they were representing the their children's voices and the voices of their friends um, as Hillary said, we went through the ballot or the, the balancing act quite a few times and the skate park didn't elevate, but there was a lot, a lot of conversation around uh, KTUB and youth programming and that was a high interest of the PFAC team. Do you have anything to add? I would just add that we, we did seek a youth delegate and we had one for the first meeting, but just because of the complexity of doing this during the school year, um, they weren't able to continue participating, unfortunately. I think um, Councilmember Curtis said the rest well. Great. Councilmember Curtis. That does raise an interesting thought, though, as we go out to the okay. community survey to see if we can um, query young people on their needs. So knowing that. Back to Councilmember Pascal. Councilmember Curtis read my mind there. That's what, yeah. <laughs> I thought was going to be a question about the survey. Um, so that, thank you for that. Um, the other question I had uh, was around the green loop. Mm -hmm. And before I even ask my question, I'm just going to say, like, I'm supportive of the green loop. <laughs> I voted for it when it was part of the Pinhill neighborhood plan and that whole thing. The question is more about that when I look at all the different recommendations, that's the one that's kind of like I can't put my ar my my arms around as as well. It's like it's kind of nebulous, right? It's I understand the vision. Um, I'm concerned how to realize that vision in a tangible way. Um, and I'll give a couple examples. We've had the Billy Goat Trail funded for years really hasn't advanced to, you know, on the ground construction. That's part of the Green Loop. Um, <clears throat> we've also had the Green Loop Master Plan funded by the King County Parks Levy. We haven't been able to get to that because of priority. So I'm just kind of, I'm just voicing some concerns about, um, you know, if, if I have a hard time understanding it, will others have, have a hard time understanding what they get from it? And then, the other thing would be, it would be very clear about what comes from that, right? So there's property acquisition, there's trail construction. Um, and then I guess the missing piece to it all that I, I feel would be really important to realize that vision is that there has to be some discussion about easements. 
uh, you will not construct that that green loop without easements across private property. And um, my property is one of those. Um, and and if someone came to me and said, you will get tax advantages to build a trail across your property, I would be open to talking about that. Um, so that needs to be part of realizing that vision because I don't know how else to get there because we can't, we can't we're, it's gonna be very difficult to buy up that property. It's gonna be about private easements. So that can just be part of that, I would add. Or was that considered? That would be a question. Was that t discussed or talked about? Say, just in case anyone couldn't hear it, um, Lynn was saying that wasn't an item of discussion, that level of detail. We were talking, um, we had the questions of what would this include, and we talked about it would include funding for certain priority segments as they became available, um, and that the CIP-funded master plan is hopefully will be underway as soon as well. I think it's a, it's a great vision. It's obviously supported by the community. It's part of the neighborhood plan. Uh, I think, uh, you know, as it stays part of this um, um, measure, uh, I think just maybe trying to hone in on, on what those tangible pieces are and be able to communicate that succinctly to the, the public would be really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Just building on that, I think the green loop is going to be one where when people ask questions about it, we're going to need to really have short, sweet, complete. <laughs> um, answers because mm -hmm. I, I, I think people really will look at this package and I, and I, I like the composition of it, um, but they're going to look at this in terms of um, what they're going to get. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, I think the, the uh, PFEC did a beautiful job putting it together. I guess where I'm frustrated is I want a whole lot of other stuff too. <laughs> so, um, so there's that, um, and the sense that we, you know, the, the pros plan has so many outstanding things, you know, going through the card exercise just with myself was, was painful because we could, there's so much more that we could do if we had, if we had the money. Um, but I think, I think we're going in the right direction. You may. I just want to share that PFEC also struggled with that. And I made the promise to them that we would figure out how to fund the other items. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> okay, further discussion on that one? Go ahead, Hillary. Um, the kind of final direction that we wanted to um, seek from council tonight was about the survey. And so, as I mentioned, we are currently in talks with the contract um, and finalizing that with EMC Research, um, who also managed the survey around the ComSag fire ballot measure process in 2020. And um, we are, um, wanted to share that the current plan with EMC Research is to have a statistically valid hybrid telephone and online survey that would have a sample size of 400 people. And then after that, we would um, run an open link survey for a while um, to gather additional community input. Um, and so the, the questions are, does council support a community survey in the field as soon as possible? And then would council like to see any expansion of this survey? And I should mention along with the first um, aspect is that the, the hope of course with PFEC reconvening on May 1st is that we would be able to have the results by then. So that really has the um, 
date of question um, working out around April 5th for her staff. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. It's not surprising that the survey methodologist here has some feedback on doing a community survey. Um, yes, I fully support this. It's not gonna be surprising that I want us to focus on really having a good diverse group of respondents here. And so it's not clear to me whether they're proposing like a simple random sample or a stratified random sample. We would randomly sample within certain demographic groups, whether that be neighborhood or um, disability status or race, gender, age group, all kinds of things like that. Um, I would just like to see good representation so that we could do um, some sort of multivariate analysis on the data and not just a um, frequencies of, of each of those because I think that will be really helpful for us. Um, and so I would leave that up to the consultants to determine if 400 is enough for that, depending on what demographics and how many stratum we'd really be looking for. So, but I, I think that's really important that we do that in order to make really informed decisions. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Pascal. I, I fully support the survey. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really important to making a decision. The question I had was, we, we did a survey for the aquatic facility back in 2014, I believe. And I'm wondering, are we going to use any kind of, um, are there going to be some questions that are similar to that so we can kind of see how maybe attitudes or support has changed since then? Or is that, or, I mean, I'm not a statistician, so I don't know if that's good or bad or, a, a good thing to do, but for me, it, I think it would be, seems like it would be helpful, but maybe it isn't. Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a, that's a great question, um, and I have not had a chance to review that recently, um, but I do know that um, the current, the current, the questions are still in development, so there's room for adding and changing questions, but the current scope of the survey was looking a little bit more broad at the kind of package and a little less specific of design, um, okay. but that, if there are any, I think that would be just, I guess that would be a request to have the, the consultant who's ever doing the survey just to look at that last one, see if there are any that might be still um, worthy of, of asking just so that we can have a comparison back because we kind of know the results from that effort and, and uh, just be another data point to base a decision on. Thank you. Thanks. Any further discussion? Councilmember Black. Thank you. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you. Uh, every, everyone's given their thanks, but I do too. Um, appreciate everyone's hard work. Um, I was kind of waiting for this item because I did want to ask a little bit about, I really appreciate the comments that have already been made about the survey, um, including the comment earlier about trying to find a way that we can reach youth uh, in the survey. Uh, that's not necessarily uh, described on the, on the slide, but it's been, but it's been um, brought up. So I would just add my voice to that. I think that's, if there's some way to accomplish that, and it's gotta be a challenge, but um, if there's some way to accomplish that, that'd be great. Um, the, you said the, Hillary, you said the questions are still in development. Um, I really like the, um, uh, what's been said about PFEC really focusing on the passability of, of the measure. Um, let me just ask that threshold question. Are, is, I assume that's part of what um, the PFEC really wants out of this survey is some sense of what packages are more likely to pass and which packages are less likely to pass. Different price points, I imagine. 
and also based on facilities, two versus one, one facility at the North Kirkland Community Center, one facility at Houghton, that kind of thing. Are we really gonna get into, is that gonna be part of our priority goals in the survey? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that um, you know we have certain things that we can and can't ask, so we're still working through that. But I think the, the focus of one or two facilities, facility location, and kind of that general size of ballot measure is definitely um, some of the main focuses of the survey. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's even possible be, be, due to either just the constraints of a survey or the constraints of the questions we can ask. Um, but I'd really like to understand if it's at all possible, um, the likelihood that someone who is in support of, and I guess here I'm really focused on the top line um, item that was the priority of the PFAC, which was the Aquatics and Recreation Center. Um, the likelihood that somebody who favors an Aquatics and Recreation Center um, and therefore would be likely to vote in favor of, um, of a measure that included that would, would change their vote if it were not at 124th Street or at 70th place um, based on where they live. Um, and I guess I'll just, I'll just state my, my skepticism that someone who's a supporter of an aquatics and recreation center um, and would vote in favor of a measure that included that um, would change their vote based on the fact that the center would be a little bit further across town, either at 124th and they live in South Kirkland or at 70th place and they live in North Kirkland. Um, so I don't know if that's, is that the kind of thing we're talking about? Is that even possible to get to that? I'd say talking about, um, figuring out the possibilities still. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, I'll just add my, if that's possible, that would, it, I don't know if it is, but mm. I'm glad we're talking about it. Thank you. Got what we've got. I think so. Anything else, Lynn or Kurt? Okay. No, thank you. I think we we have our next round of steps. Thank you, Council. Excellent. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for this this evening. I feel like we're just sort of on a precipice. <laughs> so we will see you again with the results. With that, we are going to break for dinner, and we'll be back for a regular meeting at 7.30. Thank you. Thank you. Recording in progress. We are back in session following a study session on a parks funding exploratory committee recommendation for a potential park ballot measure and the review of a draft recreation and aquatic center feasibility study. We are now at item... Um, four on our agenda, honors and proclamations. Our proclamation tonight is recognizing No Roos and support for Iranian American Community Proclamation. I would like anybody in the audience who is affected by that to come to the center here and Council Member Falcone is going to read the proclamation. Taking picture of him. Great. Well, thank you for being here with us tonight. 
I'm going to be reading a proclamation of the city of Kirkland, recognizing March 20th, 2023, as Nauru's in Kirkland, and proclaiming support for the Iranian-American community. Whereas Nauru's, meaning New Day, is a cherished and ancient solar New Year celebration that marks the northern vernal equinox and the first day of spring, and has been celebrated for over 3,000 years by people from many different cultural and religious backgrounds, including Turkish, Persian, Kurdish, Azeri, Afghan, and many other communities. And whereas the festival of Nowruz promotes the values of peace and solidarity and symbolizes a time of renewal and community, marking a departure from the trials of the previous year and bringing hope for the new year. And whereas the city recognizes the cultural and historical significance of Nowruz, <coughs> excuse me, and expresses appreciation for the contributions of the Iranian American community and all those communities who celebrate Nowruz in Kirkland and throughout the East Side. And whereas the values of peace, solidarity, renewal, community, and hope are particularly relevant during this time of struggle for the Iranian people in their pursuit of justice and freedom, particularly for women and girls. And whereas in September 2022, a young Kurdish-Iranian woman, Masha Gina Amini, died after she was arrested and detained for an alleged violation of Iran's strict dress code for women. And her death sparked widespread protests in Iran, accompanied by the rallying cry of woman, life, freedom. And whereas the city supports the Iranian-American community in Kirkland, as they amplify the voice of the Iranian people in Iran, chanting, woman, woman, life, freedom, translated from the Kurdish slogan of Jin Jian Azadi. And whereas the city council has worked to demonstrate a deliberate and intentional effort to create a Kirkland where everybody belongs through the approval of resolutions R5240 in February of 2017, and R5434 in August 2020, and the adoption of a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging five-year roadmap in July 2022 that identifies several actions to ensure that Kirkland is a safe, inclusive, and welcoming place for all people. And whereas, as it does with all cultural communities in Kirkland, the city seeks to develop an ongoing collaboration with the Iranian-American community and others who celebrate Nowruz in its effort to raise awareness of and to promote a deeper understanding, acceptance, and respect for the diversity of cultures represented in Kirkland. Now, therefore, Mayor Penny Sweet, on behalf of the Kirkland City Council, does hereby proclaim March 20th, 2023, as Nowruz in Kirkland, further proclaim support for the Iranian-American people community during the movement for justice and freedom for women and other people, and condemns the use of violence to enforce policies that discriminate against women and other people. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mayor Sui. Thank you so much for this council. Um, 
I want to extend my deepest gratitude uh, for your unwavering support of our community and your dedicated staff, especially David, Erica, all of whom have been very supportive, James, all of you who have been very supportive throughout this process and uh, for officially recognizing Nowruz through this proclamation. Nowruz New Year is a time of celebration for over 300 million people across the world with different religious, ethnic, and cultural backgrounds. And it symbolizes time of renewal and hope for the future with the arrival of spring. This year, Nowruz has been bittersweet for many of us with the Zan Zendegi Azadi, the Women, Life, Freedom Movement happening in Iran and people's fight for freedom in Iran and Afghanistan. We mourn our fallen sisters and brothers who courageously sacrificed their lives for a better future and stand in solidarity with the political prisoners and people who continue to fight for their freedoms and rights. We also see parallels between what's happening in Iran and right here in our adopted home of America and how they are connected when we see our rights, women's rights of bodily autonomy being taken away. And yet we continue to fight for what is just. We should also recognize that it is imperative that we continue amplifying the voices of the Iranian people who are doing the same, fighting for their freedom. I hope that this proclamation serves to strengthen the partnership between this council and the Iranian Americans who continue to contribute so much to Kirkland's thriving society and economy. And I wish everybody a very happy new year. No ruse, piruz. Thank you. Please. Um, oh, before you take a picture, I would like to thank all the officials here that this city is beautiful because of all the work you do, and I appreciate all of you. And um, supporting the Noruz and Zanzaniyaza, um, I really appreciate that. But today, my calling is all the diversity and all the diverse community that we have in our city that they be celebrated just like this. We want to make sure that that diversity is continuously involved with the city of Kirkland and any other city as the volunteer work. Because today, I feel diversity that it brings is love and beauty to elevate our city and America is what we need. So we can ask for anything from this council, but we need to roll our sleeves up and be part of the solution. Thank you for giving us the time for this. Thank you. Okay, this takes us to item number five, communications and items from the audience. This is the time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters that are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing, of which there are none scheduled this evening. Please limit remarks to three minutes and the council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of any issue. If you are present either in person or virtually, and would like to address the council during this items from the audience period, please sign up using the online public comment instruction line or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please dial star nine to be recognized. 
Community members will be called on in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting, and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints, regardless of content. Because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are also not allowed in council chambers during our meetings, regardless of their content. City Clerk. Good evening, Mayor. We have eight people signed up to speak this evening. The first three are Samantha St. John, Nassim Ghazanfari, Arazu Bagan, followed by Curtis Thompson. Welcome, Ms. St. John. Hello, Council. My name is Samantha St. John, and I am the outgoing CEO of the Kirkland Chamber of Commerce and Kirkland Chamber Foundation. So I am here tonight to just extend my appreciation to the city staff and to the council for my 10 years of being uh, the chamber CEO. And um, just thank you for your support. And please welcome Sharice Burgoyne into this position as she will fill the interim role as the chamber interim CEO. And uh, also just, it wouldn't be a council meeting with me without a reminder to please consider the small business community as you are making policies going forward, as I will not be here to talk about them anymore in this capacity. So I just wanted to thank you for 10 years and several of you have actually been on the council the entire time that I've been CEO of the chamber. So thank you. Thank you, Samantha. The next speaker is Nassim Ghazanfari. Welcome. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, uh, Ms. Mayor and um, everybody here, council members. Um, I'm not exactly ready to talk. I thought I'm the third person, but I'll try to be as quick as possible. I'm an Iranian-American woman, and I'm a mother. I'm a physician. I'm an immigrant, and um, I call America my second home while my home country is back in Iran. I wanted to start my talk with saying in the name of the god of the rainbow, because that's what reminds us of what's happening in Iran. That those are the words of a nine-year-old who was murdered by the Islamic Republic forces. It's hard to talk about those atrocities happening, atrocities happening in my country during a big celebration, which is no rules, and just after you did a beautiful um, a proclamation recognizing our. Um, our holiday. This is our most cherished holiday, which was really difficult for us to celebrate this particular year because of everything happening back at home. Um, our family even here are not safe. We are also being threatened by arms of the Islamic Republic who live among us. Um, and I just want you to be aware of that. And I would like to have meetings forward to talk to the mayor, to the council members, and we all learn about both Iranian culture and what's happening in our community in future. But I also want to thank you enormously for the steps you did in order to recognize no rules for us. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Arzu Bagan, followed by Curtis Thompson, then Bonnie McLeod. Welcome, Arzu. Hi, my name is Arzu Bagan. Thank you so much for uh, city. Uh, Mayor, City Council, everyone recognition of that no rules is beautiful, is a courage to our community. Thanks for Sahar for 
putting it all together. So uh, I am a woman which find my community in the street literally at the September 26, 2022, when Mahsa got killed by morality police in Iran, and this revolution just started. And since then, we've been in the street all this, like every single night for the first two months, and after that is going, it is every week or every other week, in the rain, in the snow, in any, any condition. I'm so proud of my community, which is, uh, we have the group or nonprofit organization called Voice of Iran. These young, beautiful young people are just working days and nights, and well, while we trying to be the voiceless, voice of the voiceless is from Iran, trying to be the clearest voice from Iranian people. Also, culture, Nowruz is beautiful. We want to just like um, save it because Islamic regime, all they want to just destroy our culture, and this is part of their job, but this is not our like biggest matter today. We are, we are just losing beautiful kids every day. We want to just be the voice of the voiceless people who get killed, nine years old, 12, 10. They have no limits. They, they put chemical, they chemical attack their own school. That's, that's a condition of my country. Although I really appreciate it, I want you to just hear that. This is my passion, this is me, real me. Really appreciate that, but we wanna get more connected like, and then get more help to amplify their voice. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Curtis Thompson, followed by Bonnie McLeod and Scott Morris. Is Mr. Thompson here? He is. Welcome, Mr. Thompson. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you all, members of the council and Madam Mayor. Uh, I'm here to ask that those who are leaning in one direction or the other of the screening for people to live at the proposed sheltered housing at La Quinta project uh, understand that the people that we're wanting to help out there are more vulnerable than the average population. And they deserve, they need to know, we need to know, um, that, that extended security option, uh, background checks, is there for their protection as much as the general community. Uh, well, I've served several years on multiple King County boards, the Veterans Advisory Board and the Levy Oversight Board, and learned a great deal about how people can thrive and do well in a safe environment. And this is one small element with no significant financial cost that I think we really have no choice. We really need to make certain that not just the general community, but especially the population living in a small, closed quarter place like this, that they can feel safe and that they can benefit from helping hand up and maybe be among those who become self-sufficient because they've had a safe place to live and work. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Bonnie McLeod, followed by Scott Morris and Ken McKenzie. Then will be jo uh, Joe Kunzler. Welcome, Ms. McLeod. In spring 
2019, the city of Kirkland announced a pilot program named Summer Sundays on Park Lane. It proved to be a total failure, and halfway through the summer, it was consolidated to just Park Lane West. Then in 2020, the city named it Evenings on Park Lane and framed the closure as helping businesses. For 2021, you continued the closure, allowing businesses to expand into the street due to COVID. At no time did you ask the retail businesses, can they expand into the street? When COVID restrictions were lifted and the restaurants went back to full capacity inside, their kitchens and their staff didn't allow for expansion into the street. That's where we are today. So now here in 2023, you insist on studying this further. You have all been provided documentation that reflects 100% of the businesses on Park Lane are against this closure. Yet when the question of how do the businesses and property owners feel comes up, no one speaks up and says they're against it. They're against closing to vehicular traffic. You hired a consultant and spent $75,000 to study this further. The business owners and property owners are allotted a grand total of two and a half hours of the consultant's time. That hardly feels like you want to understand the position of the very people that are investing in Kirkland. I have asked that a letter from our land use attorney who represents a group of property owners be shared with you. Can you pass that out to the... Um, Derek, you want to it's quite clear the action of let's see uh, the, quite clear the action of closing the street would rise to a level of an unlawful taking. Please read this letter carefully, as he is clear that closing the street will have legal consequences for the city. I'm not sure why you all feel you know more about what is best for business on Park Lane. No one visited the business owners when this started to ask how things were going on the street. You completed construction in 2015, and since that year, you have not maintained anything on the street. The four years of pilot programs, you never looked back to say, how did it go? Has anyone asked Washington Federal how they're affected every night when the street is closed? Grubhub and Uber Eats jam their parking lot, their private parking lot, and there's no turnaround. It took one employee 15 minutes to get out of their own parking lot. Has anyone spoken to waste management? Gar garbage storage and collection has been a problem for over 30 years. There is not sufficient alley space for garbage today. Deliveries are vital to business. Large produce and restaurant supply deliveries are already a headache. Then add UPS and Amazon. These deliveries can, these drivers cannot deliver without access. After Bothell Street closure in their downtown was used as an example and we were told how wonderful it was, we went and did our own research. They closed their street. They asked for their street to be closed because transit ran up and down. They don't consider the doorways on that closed street their front doors. Their fronts are on the backside where they have 500, over 500 parking spaces. Please go look for yourself. It's quite a different situation than we have in Kirkland. Please respect the business community in Kirkland and give them credit for knowing what's Ms. best McLeod, for their I'm businesses. Sir, your time is up. Thank you. Mayor, the next speaker is Scott Morris, followed by Ken McKenzie, Joe Kunzler, and Phil Allen. Welcome, Mr. Morris. Good evening, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, members of the council. My name is Scott Morris. I am a resident of the Finn Hill neighborhood and also a participant in the PFEC process that you just discussed. I wanted to say, I think on behalf of all the PFEC members, that uh, we really appreciate the effort that the staff put into 
uh, informing us and providing um, a very good background for the many issues that uh, are associated with that park ballot measure. It was really a lot of work and we appreciated it. I certainly did. I, had, I thought it was a good presentation in the study session, but I do have one point that I would like to raise for the Council's consideration, and that is that um, the 86,000 square foot Houghton option should be also one of the options for North Kirkland Community Center. The Houghton 86,000 option has a rec pool, a separate lap pool, and two basketball courts. The fact that there's a separate lap pool and a separate rec pool, I think, is very important. The, the water temperature of the two uh, is different. They have different purposes. And the 74,000 square foot option for North Kirkland has a combined lap and rec pool, which I think is a very different uh, uh, type of feature. And uh, for several of us, I think, on the, on the PFEC, maybe many of us, I think there was a lot of confusion between the issue of location and the issue of the types of facilities that would be available at each location. And I think if you want good data from the community, you should have an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. In other words, community members should be able to consider the same type of facility in North Kirkland as would be offered in Houghton. So that's, uh, that's just a suggestion that I hope will be taken up uh, by the staff and that OPSIS will be asked to provide some cost information on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker is Ken McKenzie, followed by Joe Kunzler and Phil Allen. Welcome, Mr. McKenzie. Thank you. What are the odds that my PowerPoint presentation can work here? No, there's no... Oh, <laughs> I wish you had emailed that to me, Ken. No. That's how it works these days? Used to just be able to plug it in. Oh, dear. Okay. Um... Hi, um, Adam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and, and the Council, thank you for giving me this time, and I have to second, it was a real honor to be on PFEC, and I think we accomplished a great deal. I also think there were a number of loose ends, and I'd like to uh, support the idea that the Houghton location and the North Kirkland location need to have similar capabilities in order to judge, and in particular, the North Kirkland community uh, North Kirkland location needs a, a better facility design. It just seemed like the North Kirkland facility design was hobbled in some way. Um, Sammamish has a wonderful facility that everybody should look at. 69,000 square feet, so it's quite a bit smaller than, than any of the Houghton locations and also than, than the uh, North Kirkland location, and yet it has a lap pool, a six-lane lap pool, a recreation pool, and three basketball courts, as well as a whole bunch of uh, exercise facilities and everything else you'd ever want in 69,000 square feet. And in 2016, it cost about $35 million to build. So it was a lot cheaper as well. That would provide the extra money that's needed for uh, land moving and things like that at North Kirkland. When I started on PFEC, I was convinced that Houghton was the location to use. And through discussions with the people on PFEC, especially people from Finn Hill, you know how troublesome they are. They explained to me that getting from Finn Hill to Houghton, 
park and ride at rush hour in order to drop off uh, or pick up a kid is really, really hard. And I became convinced that a central location where transit is much better than it is at Houghton is ideal. So we really need that uh, North Kirkland location explored and the right facilities there so that we're not looking at a hobbled facility against a really uh, grand one and getting confused about location. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker is virtual and his name is Joe Kunzler. Welcome, Hi, Mr. Thank you for having me. Joe Kunzler here. I'm going to be uh, brief as it seems there's a lot of good souls um, winning the sortie this evening. A couple of thoughts. First, um, I, you know, I understand that, uh, you know, there's been some problems with some communication between the council and the county executive about a homeless uh, shelter. To, and I want to register for the record. Uh, my support for uh, Councilmember Toby Nixon's concerns. Um, I find it very concerning that the county executive would not be fully forthcoming. I know Jonathan Cho, CHOE, is documenting all of this. So I so I add my voice in support. Second thing is that uh, uh, last January, you had a troubled individual uh, in Alex Zimmerman address you, and I've meant to reach out to you ever since then. Um, when someone comes before you, generally, you're not supposed to let them continue after they announce their campaigning or that they're in a campaign. Um, I just don't think that's a good practice. And I filed several public disclosure commission complaints about Mr. Zimmerman and his conduct. And I also don't appreciate at all in any shape, way, or form the way he addresses you uh, as a council. Uh, I happen to consider one of your council members a, a open government hero of mine, so I take it extremely personally. Um, that's pretty much all my remarks. I want to make sure that everyone has time to talk tonight. Thank you for your public service. Thank you, Mr. Kunzler. The next speaker is Phil Allen. Welcome, Mr. Allen. Hi, am I audible? You are. Excellent. Hi. <clears throat> Mayor Sweet, Deputy Mayor Honor, Arnold, Kirkland City Council, thank you for having me here tonight. Along with some other folks who are in the audience, I had the privilege of being on the PFEC. And I actually wanted to zoom into something particular in the PFEC that may have been in your detailed uh, packets, but was certainly not spoken out in the report. There's been mention made of our tour to the Sammamish facility. And just like Mr. McKenzie brought up a few minutes ago, they have a really nice facility. It's about 69,000 square feet. They did relate to us, a number of us, uh, a large enough number, I feel good about saying it, that they actually also rent some additional space. So they certainly don't have a great quantity more facility than they're currently using. I'm sure there's some spare capacity, not a huge amount. The population in Sammamish is about 66,000 people. Population in Kirkland, I'm sure all of you are aware, is about 91,000 people is expected to grow to maybe as high as 140,000 over the next 20 to 25 years. So I am looking at kind of those current numbers and saying if there's 91, 92,000 now, to have an equivalent level of uh, facility, it'd be something where 95, 96, 97,000 square feet. And to plan for a future, it would be something more like 140 or 150,000 total square feet. And this doesn't all have to be built at once. It doesn't all have to be built in one ballot measure. And I actually 
uh, in my own mind, in 20 years, an additional uh, facility would be built to help shore up that, that amount. So that's, that's all kind of like kind of factual math, dry stuff. Uh, but for my own recommendations, I would give up size on facility to get two different facilities in different locations. With this idea that it's easy for a person to vote for a pool aquatics facility wellness center near them, but to vote against the cost of an aquatics facility pool that's far away from them. The other thing I would do is I would give up the fanciness of a facility, and I do not know the construction grade that the proposals are at, but I would give up fanciness of the facility in order to get more size, in order to get a better footprint. And if there's a desire to make it fancier later, it's much easier to change the finishes than it is to do an expansion. So there's just a couple of my thoughts, and I thought I would share them with you. I know it's a hard problem because I was in the PFEC room, and I don't have access to half the information or concerns that the seven of you would have. Um, so thank you for listening. Thank you for your consideration. And I look forward to hearing both the council direction and the future for PFECT and the ballot measure as a total. Thank you. We have one additional sign up. Greg Young is the next speaker. Welcome, Mr. Young. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for the opportunity. Um, I'll go on record saying I'm not perfectly prepared for this, but I'll, I'll try my best. Um, I wanted to take a moment to comment on the supportive housing initiative and most recently the, um, the topic of background checks. I've, um, as a member of the community, tried my best to uh, engage, follow through the process, learn about what's going on. Um, I'm uh, excited for uh, Kirkland to be welcoming um, and create this opportunity. There are many members of the greater community and the county who can uh, need this help and will benefit from it, and, and that's great. Um, I do think that the uh, opportunity that can be provided to those individuals needs to be uh, put in consideration with the community safety, and I get concerned that sometimes that's being uh, not the top priority. Um, and and I, I urge and, and beg of the council to really keep that in mind. Um, I, as I mentioned, I've been trying to follow and engage and learn. I know there's been many um, uh, concerns shared around safety of the community. I do think there has been, and I will acknowledge some um, some of that seems to have been heard, and, and there's been progress made. So I definitely want to, to uh, definitely want to acknowledge that. Um, the, on the the background check topic, um, the first I heard of that being a recommendation to not be included at all um, was just about two weeks ago. Um, maybe I missed something. I, I don't know, but that was the first time I heard of that. And since if it has been a uh, clear mandate from King County as one of their top two priorities. It just seems a bit evasive that it would have come about um, this late in the game. If that was two weeks ago and there's a final vote on that tonight, it seems a bit misleading of, of the public to uh, have this come through at the very end. Again, if that was made uh, clear earlier and somehow I missed it, you know, I guess my fault, but in talking with others in the community, they feel uh, the same way. And uh, it, background checks, I'm not an expert there, but I, I'm uh, a little league coach and a, and a volunteer, and I go to the city of Kirkland's website, and I'm required to submit to a criminal background check to uh, engage with the city that way. Uh, I believe it's Alliance 2020 is the provider. I believe the Washington State Patrol provides background checks. I don't know if um, the city of Kirkland has had issues or complaints about Alliance 2020 not having uh, fair background checks, or but it's it's confusing why it would be so concerning that cannot be considered to be, uh, as a point of information and consideration in this process but for other um, places across the community, uh, across Kirkland, it's, it's, a, it's a requirement. So it's just confusing, it feels misleading, and I, I would uh, urge the council to have a thorough discussion and really think through that. There's many other 
concerns, but that's the top one for um, I, I would appreciate your consideration on um, today. And I think the comment the gentleman made earlier about the safety of the residents is uh, important to consider as well. So um, thank you for your time. Thank you. We have no other speakers signed up. Is there anyone else who would like to address the council during this items from the audience period? Seeing none, I will declare this items from the audience period closed. That takes us to item eight, our consent calendar. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold to present the audit of accounts. Presentation. Um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I skipped item seven. I don't, sorry about that. Uh, item seven is special presentations, the King County Crisis Care Center's levy. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Mayor. I couldn't get my mute off fast enough, so I appreciate <laughs> coming back to that. Uh, so yeah, so we have a special presentation for the council tonight. Uh, King County has placed Proposition 1, the Crisis Care Center Levy, on the April 25th ballot. Um, Kelly Ryder, the Government Relations Manager from King County Department of Community and Human Services, is going to make a presentation and answer any questions. And then following that, Diana Hart, who's our Government Relations Manager for Kirkland, is going to ask if the council is interested in a resolution of support at a following council meeting. Thank you. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, members of the council. Uh, it's nice to be with you all this evening, and I'm happy to be presenting on the Crisis Care Center's levy that will be before the voters in April. I just want to make a quick uh, clarification that I am here in my official county capacity, and so I am happy to present here on an educational fact basis the information that will be before the voters, uh, and nothing that I will be saying will be trying to support one position or the other. Uh, as a context for the presentation, I also want to clarify when we talk about behavioral health in this levy broadly in our region, in our state, in our country, behavioral health really means both mental health and substance use disorder healthcare. Uh, and so sometimes we get some questions about whether behavioral health is just mental health. Uh, it is meant to be that comprehensive care uh, that we know many of our folks in the community need. All right, so when the executive proposed the crisis care center's levy back in uh, September of last year, the levy was proposed to address three main problems. One is that many of us take for granted that in the physical health care sphere, we can at any time call 911, get an ambulance, go to an urgent care or an emergency room at any time that we might break a bone, our child needs stitches, uh, we fall and we need help uh, from a doctor. We do not have this for behavioral health care. There is no urgent care that anyone can just walk into at any time right now anywhere in King County. The second main problem that the crisis care center's levy is intended to address is that our mental health residential capacity specifically has been drastically reduced over the last five years. We have lost one third of our beds. And we know that especially as our population grows, as our behavioral health needs as a region grow, that we need to be able to restore this capacity. And the last, issue that this is intended to address is that in order for any of this to work, it will take people to treat people. And so addressing the unsustainability of our workforce, both in the fact that it does not represent currently the diverse population that needs behavioral health care in our region, but also the fact that we have too many vacancies right now in our behavioral health workforce uh, needs to be addressed in order for us to be successful. And so we set out to look at what in the behavioral health crisis system the crisis care center levy could address. Uh, when we think about a crisis system, both the federal government, state government, and now your regional government at King County have incorporated this three uh, pillar model. 
Uh, first, that you need someone to talk to. You need someone like the 911 system. And in Washington State, we have now incorporated the 988 system, as well as what we have traditionally had in the regional crisis line, where you do have someone to call if you need behavioral health uh, emergency care. The second pillar then is someone to respond. And so in many places uh, in King County right now, uh, you can call the regional crisis line and the mobile crisis team is able to respond. Uh, we certainly need more capacity there. Uh, and I think the racer model here is also uh, intended to be very responsive to this idea of someone needing to, be, to respond. Uh, we need more folks to respond, but perhaps more important for this levy is that even when we do have someone responding, there's no place for that individual to go when they need care. And so the Crisis Care Center sets out to be that some place to go. Uh, and you all in Kirkland are very familiar with this idea given the announcement about the connection site a few weeks ago. So the Crisis Center levy would then set out to create three specific investment areas. One, to create five new regional crisis care centers across King County. Two, to preserve, preserve and restore the dramatic loss of residential treatment beds. You'll see here uh, that in 2018, there were 355 beds. And by uh, last year, there were only 244 of those beds available. And lastly, growing the behavioral health workforce in a way that represents the needs of our growing behavioral health client base. Uh, and you can see here at the bottom uh, our representatives of member um, providers of behavioral health care are now uh, representing that they have doubled vacancies in their staff uh, that they have been unable to fill. So we'll start off with just a little bit of detail about each of these three components of the crisis care centers levy. Uh, the first being the paramount purpose, which is to build a network of five crisis care centers. You'll see here a map, and that is because the ballot measure ordinance that is before voters now would propose four different regions. One you'll see in the north zone uh, that nicely carves out the city of Kirkland there in the orange area. Uh, and then we also have a zone for Seattle, uh, the east zone, and the south zone. So the uh, ballot measure ordinance would require that there be a crisis care center in each of these four geographies, and then that there would be a fifth crisis care center in one place across the county specifically intended for youth. Next, what is a crisis care center? So the crisis care centers would provide four specific types of care. First, that it provides that urgent care model, that at any time you can come in with a family member, you can come in yourself, or a first responder could drop someone off that needs immediate access to urgent care. Uh, and that individual would be able to access care when their traditional provider might be closed, evening, weekends, or any time throughout the week, uh, and just be able to access that care clinician. But the next step is for folks that may need a little bit more time to stabilize, uh, they need a little bit more support, and that's for folks that stay the 23 hours in an observation type unit. Uh, this is a model that's gotten a lot of attention from folks that have traveled to Arizona, certainly uh, Connections being one of the providers nationally uh, that already provides this model of care, but we do not have it right now here in King County. And then the third piece of that is for folks who do need much longer to stay and to stabilize, to be able to be supported, make sure that they have a proper diagnosis, uh, medication, whatever those needs might be, and they could stay up to 14 days. All three of these types of care are intended to be voluntary. 
Uh, these are for individuals uh, who are ready to access care um, and who can engage in those services. We do know that at times folks need involuntary treatment and for those folks, we will also be citing our designated crisis responders who have the state responsibility to evaluate folks for involuntary care right there at the crisis care center. Another benefit of citing our DCRs at the site is that right now, all of those DCRs that the county employs are cited in the county offices in Seattle. That means that if someone were to call from Kirkland, from Enumclaw, from SeaTac, they have to drive out from their Seattle office, drive back to their Seattle office, and you can imagine how that stacks up in order to be responsive by being able to cite our DCRs across the county in these five crisis care centers, we're gonna be able to cut down on travel time and be more responsive to the needs of each of our geographies across the region. You'll see here on the right some of the principles, uh, certainly making sure that there is no wrong door, uh, making sure that those with lived experience are incorporated into the staffing model. Um, and another piece that is uh, applicable for the North King County area is that we haven't distinguished whether this has to be in one single site or in a group of sites. Uh, and so we know that there will be, uh, should the crisis care center levy ballot be approved, uh, there will be some existing resources uh, that are present and we wanna make sure that the ballot measure was flexible enough to be adaptive to those existing facilities. Second piece uh, for folks to be aware of is that we do not as a county intend that these crisis care centers would be owned or operated by the county. Uh, these would be provided by, uh, driven by our provider network uh, who really is best positioned to understand what specifically their operation needs are, what their facility site will look like, and be able to propose that to the county. So next I'll go to that second purpose, or what we call our supporting purpose one, uh, and that is to restore the mental health residential capacity. As I noted, we've gone from 355 residential beds to 244 beds, and the levy would allow us to build back those 111 beds, as well as make sure that we don't lose additional beds. Uh, you'll see here this note at the bottom, there are federal restrictions on how many beds can be at each site. Uh, and so in order to leverage Medicaid funding for these operations, uh, we would plan to site those facilities accordingly. For those who might not be as familiar with mental health residential capacity, just a couple of bullets about what mental health residential care is. Um, and that is both the treatment, but also for these folks who may be leaving uh, more institutionalized care, a hospital, um, really being able to give them support to practice their basic life skills, uh, to be able to really build community so that they are prepared to go live independently um, in their own home. Uh, the mental health residential uh, care model is fairly uh, adaptive, and so we've got some folks that might stay for six months, some folks that might stay for two years, uh, but the goal really being uh, still trying to get folks to uh, their own home uh, and living that independent life in recovery. So finally, that supporting purpose too, to invest in the workforce, as I mentioned, our vacancies have doubled, and we know uh, that our behavioral health care really is dependent on those folks who can provide uh, appropriate and quality care. And so the behavioral health levy would fund investments in both recruitment and retention. Uh, one example right now is that there is an apprenticeship that's been created uh, with some federal short-term dollars to be able to attract folks into uh, behavioral health care provision, to be able to support them through mentorship, through their education uh, costs, 
and really being able to make sure that the behavioral health care door is open to them as an employee. Uh, but we also know that there are folks right now that are leaving uh, really in droves for private practice, uh, for higher paying uh, kind of physical health care or medical care jobs. Uh, and so we want to make sure that the community-based care option is just as attractive to them and be able to invest in higher education uh, and other kind of cost reduction options that are going to make sure that they can stay in that uh, sector. Last couple of details, uh, the behavioral health care levy was proposed at 14 and a half cents for nine years. Uh, that totals up to about $121 uh, per year for what you'll see is the median countywide uh, household. I'm sorry, I do not have your Kirkland numbers here, uh, but as you can imagine, it's probably somewhere around this Redmond Bellevue number. Um, the, the new forecasts for uh, based on this year as well as next year just came out a couple of weeks ago. And so we have seen a little bit of a slight dip in those numbers. The countywide median is now at about $118 uh, per year. And then finally, the timeline, as I noted, this is on ballots for April 25th. And uh, dependent on whether the voters approve that, then the county would go into an implementation planning process to be able to propose an implementation plan with full uh, funding model at the end of this year for both the regional policy committee as well as the full council to consider in 2024. <clears throat> and that is what I have for you tonight. Happy to take questions if there's time. Council questions? Councilman Ruffalcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for being here with us tonight. Um, I'm really happy to hear that, um, well, first, it was very informative. I'm happy to hear that um, youth are being um, considered for one of the facilities here and being uh, mandated that one of them will be if the ballot measure passes. So um, that 20% of the facilities that are going to be built for youth, the one and the five, is that based on data of, you know, the need that's out there, that the, the total need, about 20% of it is youth? Um, is my first question. And then my second question is, can you define what we mean by youth? I'm wondering if that covers children as well or if that would be a separate need there for children. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, a lot of these definitions are still waiting for the implementation plan, so I will just provide that caveat. I will say that the intention behind the split is really in the responses that we've heard from behavioral health providers and those really uh, focused on serving youth that they believed that a lot of youth are going to be best served in their home environments, surrounded by their network, whatever that looks like. Um, and so what we've heard is just that there is a more limited population of youth that would need this type of care model. Uh, we also recognize as the county that we are not going to be able to fund all needs. Uh, and so we continue to work with the state legislature, as I know uh, your city does, to be able to support our broader behavioral health care needs, where we're also talking about uh, youth facility needs. So certainly more to go. Um, but given the scale uh, and the kind of distinct needs and setting opportunities, that's how we came to the balance of Thank you. And can you define youth? Does that include all ages? Is that just teenagers? Or yep. what's that definition? So that's one of the definitions that I don't believe that you will find in the ballot measure ordinance. I'll go back and read it and get back to you. Um, but the goal is certainly to make it as comprehensive as our providers believe is appropriate. There's some licensing restrictions that we're going to have to work through with Department of Health, um, but really making sure that we're compliant with that licensing framework and then being able to serve as broad of a population as possible in that um, age where it's not gonna be as appropriate for them to be served with other adults. 
Other question, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, Kelly, for the uh, uh, presentation. Um, when the Kirkland City Council last did one of our ballot measures, we had to take affirmative action to exempt the levy for seniors, people with disabilities, et cetera. Does the authorizing legislation for this do the same? It does. Thank you. Super. Any other discussion? Diana. Thank you, Kelly. And I'm following up with a question of whether you'd like us to return at a future meeting to bring forward a resolution um, stating the council's position of either support or opposition to the levy. Councilmember Nixon. Um, well, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, of course, we all know state law allows us to, the, to do this, but I've consistently taken a position that it's a bad idea for us to uh, take a position for or against ballot measures. And so I, I would prefer that we did not bring back a resolution for consideration and would ask you to consider the fact that the, unless we do a special meeting, the earliest opportunity to do this would be April 4th. And the voting period on this starts on April 7th. So the opportunity for it to have any influence on people's votes would be extremely limited. So um, I would prefer no. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'm going to go ahead and put a motion on the floor. I move that we ask staff to prepare a resolution to be brought to us at our next regular meeting for council to consider taking a position on King County Proposition 1, Crisis Care Center's levy on the upcoming April 25th, 2023 special ballot. Second. Moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis. You want to speak to your motion? Sure. Thanks, Madam Mayor. I don't have any um, remarks prepared, but I just want to say this is certainly in line with our values and the direction that we're going as a city. It's certainly... Um, uh, goes hand in hand with a lot of the work that we're doing around behavioral health crisis response. And so it seems natural to me that we should support the work that the, that King County is doing. Um, and, you know, we've, we've partnered with the County on these efforts. We're continuing to partner with the County and I, and I think it, um, would be beneficial to our community. And I think it's important that we, that we demonstrate our support for those most in need in Parkland. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Curtis. Councilmember Falcone spoke said my notes. <laughs> Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I would also note as we consider this resolution, we'll have an opportunity for both pro and con campaigns to um, make a presentation, have a public hearing here, a part here from the community on this. And because this is an April 25th special election, I think that is a community service that will help both not only inform our decision, but help the community. So I'm in favor of doing this at our next meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor, but actually Deputy Mayor just answered my question. Thank you very much. Uh, in which case, I'm going to throw my support to this as well. Um, as the city who is leading the county in this work, I don't think we have any options. I understand Councilmember Nixon's um, resistance to this as a standard, um, but I think this is one that is very important for us to raise our hand right away. And if I may, mm -hmm. I, I, I would just emphasize, I support the ballot measure. I know. <laughs> I just consistently oppose uh, having formal resolutions for or against ballot measures. Thank, Thank you. you very much. So it's been moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to move forward with a letter of support. Is that what it was? Resolution and support. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries.
Thank you. Okay, that takes us then to our consent calendar. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold to present the audit of accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $4,732,289.73 and bills in the amount of $4,430,935.01. Thank you. Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar? So moved. Moved by Councilmember Curtis. Second. Seconded by, seconded by Councilmember Falcone. Discussion. Um, sorry, Madam Mayor, I was distracted and I wasn't prepared. I would like to make a motion to pull the DIB work plan off the consent calendar. There's a lot of very interesting things in the DEI work plan, and I would like it to come to Council for a presentation and a discussion. Second. Okay. Question? Uh, so I, I just want to be clear. You're not talking about pulling it. You're talking about postponing it to a future meeting when there can be a presentation. Okay? Thank you. Okay. It's been moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Falcone to pull the... Postpone. To postpone. Thank you. The DEIB. The DEIB work plan update until... A future meeting. Um, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I would like to pull item 8H2, the REPLUS resolution, for consideration during our business agenda. Thank you. That will make it item B, item E. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, the question is on the motion to approve the, cons the amended consent calendar. Uh, um, <clears throat> moved by Councilmember Curtis, second by Councilmember Falcone. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Consent calendar is approved. It takes us to our business calendar. The first, first item on our business calendar is permanent supportive housing agreement with <coughs> King County. Did you want to say anything, Council or uh, City Manager? Well, I just want to go ahead and introduce uh, Deputy City Manager Jim Lopez, who, along with Darcy Eilers, has been working very hard in partnership with King County to bring this item for Council action. We are hoping tonight, after uh, nearly a year of very thoughtful discussion and outreach to the community and work with our King County partner, and we're looking for final action tonight should the Council be ready to do so. So with that, I will turn it over to Mr. Lopez. Thank you, thank you very much, City Manager, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor and Council. It seems like just yesterday it was March 2022 <laughs> and we were here for Resolution 5522. So thank you. Very pleased to be before you tonight, once again, with a lot of gratitude and appreciation for Assistant City Attorney Darcy Eilers, who has joined us via Teams, and Andriana Campbell, our kind of core team on this really important work. I'd also like to recognize Leo Floor and Kelly Ryder who are here tonight. Thank you both for coming um, to help answer any questions as well. So with that, we'll jump into the presentation. A very focused presentation, Madam Mayor, to perhaps uh, bring to a decision of the council for this important work. So we'll structure the presentation around the recommendation tonight and perhaps a brief background I think I've given that background several times, so we'll move quickly through that. Uh, a different kind of background for Section 2, background screening, which is really the 
fundamental issue we're here to talk about tonight. We have a few housekeeping, just two um, changes we would like to bring just to make you aware of, and then next actions. And I do understand there may be some amendments tonight, so here on the next action section we're, is where we would address that. So next slide. So for the recommendation, the council, we recommend that the council consider final draft agreement with the option to approve resolution that we have prepared in your packet, resolution R5538, which would authorize the city manager to execute the proposed agreement, this package of agreements. Now we have updated the draft ag agreements consistent with my March 7th presentation where we focused on the screening process and we kind of read the council's reaction to that presentation and thank you Director Floor as kind of using the council's screening process as the foundation to, to the screening process itself. So if there's gonna be changes to that, we're gonna start with this kind of behavioral health model, this kind of comprehensive model that the county put forth. What we are going to do in tonight's presentation is go over some of the changes we made to that county screening process based on Director Floor's comments and feedback from the county, from the council the actual documents in the packet are clean documents. They don't have strike and edits, so we put the strike and edits in my memo, and the strike and edits will show up here in the presentation. And of course, we are, once I go through all that, we are prepared to respond to any amendments to the screening process. Next slide. Uh, by way of quick background, we have been uh, working with the, the county and the community, and thank you, community, the community has been very much engaged in this process um, for some time now. A really great uh, overview of all of that work can be found at uh, our website. You just type in the search bar, Help Through Housing, and you'll see a timeline and a lot of the documents and all of the work we've done. So I'm gonna direct folks to that and move to the next slide. Uh, it is a pretty comprehensive body of information. Now, I've used this slide several times because I think it, bring, it helps to bring simplicity to some complexity. What we're talking about tonight is in the dotted red box, the permanent supportive housing agreement and a services agreement of which the county would be obligated to use in substantially similar form. We're very grateful to the county for this. This has been a very upfront, transparent process. I don't know that they've ever done it like this before, but what we're trying to do is give the community very clear guidance as to what we're doing. And we're trying to push the decisions forward so that the council has input into those decisions. For example, like the screening processes we're talking tonight. We've worked with the county to do that so that we can get it done early and then move into the work that needs to be done in the future. The PSHA, the uh, Permanent Supportive Housing Agreement document and the Services Agreement document reflect on the operator selection, as you can see in the graphic, it has code of conduct language, community relations plan, safety and security plan, good neighbor agreement, a lot of the things the community has been asking about you could see in this body of work. So we're very proud of that and we urge folks to read through that. And once again, we don't show legislative changes, so let me go through in the following slides exactly what changes we made to the county's proposed screening process. Next slide. And here that would be. Next slide. So at the March 7th council meeting, 
Um, we clarified review that the state and national sex offender registries would be completed by the King County Sheriff's Office. This was very important to staff. Uh, we needed to make sure that that database, which is the most comprehensive database, would be used. We also, the county also named the behavioral health databases that would be used for further screening uh, to potential residents. This is very important because this is where I think the council saw the details and the comprehensiveness of the behavioral uh, screening process, which is its uh, behavioral health screening process, which is it has come to be known. Uh, there's, there's credibility in those details. I think the county has some edits that they would like to make to that in our screening process. So I, I, I don't think they're fully substantive. I'll let the director speak to them. But for the most part, what we have done here is added that language in the county screening process in this document so the council and the community can see that. Now, the next few slides are going to outline where in the PSHA, the Permanent Supportive Housing Agreement, we have made the changes that I just discussed. So next slide. First, you can see in section 3A5 um, that we are not allowing the delegation of duty to include the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office has to do the work. So that's a key add from the presentation. The second key add is that the King County Sheriff's Office needs to be involved from the beginning. They need to review the applicants uh, first and foremost. They're going to do it with their own screening, which is a more comprehensive screening, and that includes the National Sex Offender Registry. So together, the Washington Sex Offender Registry, the Public Registry, and the National Sex Offender Registry through the King County Sheriff's Office is what we had hoped for, and that is what the county has agreed to. So that is now in the agreement. Next slide. We have also included, as I noted, all of the databases that the county will use to do this very comprehensive behavioral health screening. Um, we, f we feel there's real credibility here as you go through these databases. I do understand there is an, uh, a proposed edit to this, but substantively, we feel very comfortable bringing this level of detail to the council and the community to show just how comprehensive this behavioral health screening process is. So we added that in the PSHA under section three, subsection small c two. Next slide. So, with that, we've made two housekeeping modifications. Uh, next slide. Uh, one is in section four of the PSHA, Councilmember Curtis had asked about performance measures, and we have had a lot of questions about performance measures from the community. The, count, the county has agreed to work with the city to incorporate those types of performance measures, positive performance measures. We have a robust list of performance measures already in our agreement. I think Councilmember Pasquet asked about performance measures as well. We're going to work with the, the county so that we can use our partnership so they can use their consultant to get this data to all their permanent supportive housing facilities. That's part of the reason why they want to work together, so they can aggregate it and do it for everybody at one time. But we're also going to think creatively about ways that we can communicate success of the program. That's one of the things we have agreed to do together 
so that we can communicate to the community whether it's working or not and how. Additionally, the county has asked us, and this truly I believe is housekeeping, that the eligibility is for single adults with disabilities, replacing the old language in, in their uh, document. So those are the two housekeeping items. Now, I've moved kind of expeditiously through that because we did go through that last presentation on the 7th, and that brings us to next actions. I'd like to stop here, Madam Mayor, and just ask Director Floor to come up briefly because I know the council has asked about the county's position, particularly on the screening process, and I would want to make sure the director can articulate that for you tonight, being responsive to the council. And then with that, we would be prepared to entertain any amendments, should there be amendments. With respect to the amendments, we're prepared to go in any order that, we would that you would like, Madam Mayor, but because there potentially are a few of them, it might be helpful to separate the screening process amendments with the non-screening process amendments, just for simplicity, although we're prepared to do it in any way that you would like. We have. So following um, Director Flores' presentation, though, then we would simply go to the screening. You could direct, go directly to the amendments. And I think, uh, Director Flores, just a comment on the county's perspective, continuing perspective on background screening. Welcome, Director Floor. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor, uh, Mr. Deputy Mayor, and members of the council. Uh, I uh, was grateful for the opportunity to present at the last council meeting uh, and wanted to follow up today with a little bit more information uh, on the concept of background screening, what the county has proposed, and how we believe it fits the overall goal that we've heard articulated uh, that we agree with, that everyone within and around the facility should be safe. Uh, I think that's uncontroversial, and I think the question uh, that we uh, discussed at the last meeting was what is the most effective way um, and the least discriminatory way to achieve that shared goal. Uh, right now, as it is currently proposed, uh, there is at least a four-step and potentially a five-step screening process that we have all agreed to in substance, although the council has yet to make a formal consideration. So first, a person uh, who would be referred, uh, would have to be referred from somewhere, and Councilmember Curtis uh, made this point, but I have the data to substantiate it. Uh, the average amount of time that will elapse between a person being uh, initially screened and then placed in permanent supportive housing in King County right now is 236 days. During those 236 days between their initial screening and then their referral to housing, they must stay engaged with the provider that did the screening. Uh, whatever screening that provider did in order to bring that person in, uh, our agreement contemplates that that would be applicable in the first level of screening that would happen. Uh, and the county has agreed to consider that information if it's provided. Uh, the second level of screening, uh, as uh, Deputy City Manager Lopez mentioned, is that all residents will be screened by the King County Sheriff's Office to identify whether or not they have uh, been convicted of and carry any of the registration requirements for sex offenses that already under state law make it illegal for them to reside within a community protection zone. Uh, and we believe that that is uncontroversial as well. The third layer of screening that we have already agreed to is that we would then, uh, using counties' access to databases, uh, apply and can consider ourselves the person's entries in the behavioral health database, what we call the ECLS database, also the Homeless Management Information System. 
Uh, we believe that those two databases actually have the tightest nexus to being able to meaningfully determine whether or not or, or what types of behaviors we would expect to see from a person when they are residing within a facility. The one uh, administrative change that Deputy City Manager Lopez mentioned is uh, we would like to place the reference to the core system with the reference to the Medicaid system. Um, and what that does is it puts it behind a consistent with data use agreements. We do have to make sure that we're monitoring and adhering to the data use agreements that we have in place with the core system. Uh, but the core system is not where you will find behavioral health uh, uh, data from a particular person. The, the final layer of screening that we have already agreed to is that uh, a person would then have to sit within uh, a provider and conduct an interview. Uh, so we are now, at, and, and that interview, the purpose of which would be to sit down, determine whether or not the, the services at the facility would be suitable uh, for the person. And so uh, depending on whether or not the initial referring provider, on average, almost a year ago, will have done a criminal background screening of their own or not, or whatever screening they do, we are either at four or five layers of screening. Uh, what I presented last week was that the introduction of another level of screening, uh, which would be a broadly applied criminal background check, we believe is less effective than the process I have just described, carries the substantial risk of additional discriminatory effect, uh, which is a position that even uh, the Department at the federal level of Housing and Urban Development has, has uh, supported and that we have a uh, more effective, less discriminatory way of achieving that same level of safety. So it is the county's position that to then apply that additional layer of screening would constitute a barrier that begins to detract from the ability of people to access the housing who need it without uh, enhancing the safety that would be afforded by the facility and imposing the additional, at least potential discriminatory effects that come with the use of that third party uh, criminal background screening. Uh, what I do uh, want to, to convey as we've continued to talk to city staff over the course of the last two weeks uh, is we can identify that there may be some particular situations that are tightly tailored to the specific concerns that we've talked about uh, with respect to establishing safety where a criminal background check could be appropriate. Uh, and so uh, as the council is considering some of those amendments tonight, I do want to say that uh, if we're able to identify tightly uh, uh, tailored nexuses, whatever the plural of nexus is, uh, to situations that might specifically involve uh, persons with a sexual uh, uh, offense registration requirement that are not otherwise prohibited, or perhaps uh, where we have you know, a risk of, of violence or, or something that is a very specific type of crime that we would consider uh, supporting the use of background checks in very narrow, uh, narrowly tailored instances like that in addition to the other steps in the process that I had mentioned. And again, uh, I believe that the council uh, has the, the uh, you know, question before it of how to balance uh, both the, the question of access, effectiveness, and safety, and what we have proposed and would support, uh, we believe does balance that uh, in a very finely tuned way so that we are getting people into permanent supportive housing. We are mindful of the fact that people continue to pass away without housing in our community. Uh, by the hundreds every year. Um, and this is a way that we believe can move forward and support safety for people inside the building uh, who work at the building, and just as importantly for the community uh, that works around the building. Subject to any questions, uh, that concludes what I had to say, Madam Mayor. Council, any questions? 
Thank you very much. <clears throat> Pardon me. Thank you very much for, th for that. Well, thank you, Madam Mayor. So mm -hmm. I, wanted, I thought it was important that the county express their view. And with that, I turn it over to you, Madam Mayor, for potential amendments. Okay. We have had a lot of discussion with regard to, not discussion, but we've had a lot of uh, sharing today with regard to potential amendments. So I'm simply going to pick the first amendment and I'm going to have Councilmember Pascal start out. I assume we need to move the resolution first, correct? We can do that first. You want to go ahead? I'll move resolution 5583. Second. It's been moved by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Falcone. Discussion. Councilmember Pascal. Well, thank you, Mayor. Uh, Definitely appreciate all the input from the community over the last weeks and months. A lot of varied opinions, and obviously this has been a difficult conversation, challenging discussion. And thank you, Leo, for for your uh, for sharing some of your your thoughts today. Um, I think the one thing that you said that you know I think's resonated strongly through what I've heard is that we, we share the same goals. Um, and that's serving those in need and having safety at the forefront. Um, so based upon that, I do want to offer an amendment and let me, um, and then I'll speak to it if there's support. So let me bring it up. So the purpose of this amendment is to require the county or designee to perform criminal background checks on a subset of prospective residents who either have been convicted of sex offenses but are not entirely ineligible from residing at the facility through the existing restrictions or have been determined during the county screening process to have past violent behaviors. So let me read this. Uh, so I move to amend the permanent supportive housing agreement attached as Exhibit A to the pending resolution 5583 at E page 759, section 3, subsection C, by adding a new subsection C3 and renumbering the subsequent subsections the new subsection C3 to read as follows. The county will, after obtaining a signed written authorization to obtain criminal conviction records, conduct a criminal history background check on any prospective resident aged 18 and older when either, one, the prospective resident appears on the registry but is not determined ineligible under subsection 3B2I, or two, the county determines at any point in the suitability screening process that the prospective resident's conduct or history clearly demonstrates violent behavior. The resulting criminal history information will be considered as part of the, rev the review performed pursuant to subsection 3C2 and consideration and use of the information will be implemented in a manner consistent with the Federal Fair Housing Act. The county need not perform a separate criminal history background check if a referring organization provides the county with an equivalent background check of the prospective resident performed within the last six months. I'll second that. So moved by Council Member Pascal, seconded by Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, discussion? Council Mayor Pascal. So I'll kind of briefly just um, talk to this amendment since I uh, prepared it. I just, I want to be clear that I support background checks as another data point to consider, but recognize the county doesn't. And I'm also frankly concerned that there isn't majority support on this council for background checks. Um, so therefore, I prepared this amendment uh, with those two realities in mind, as I believe some background checks are better than none. 
I want to be clear that I recognize that the criminal justice system may be skewed by institutional bias. However, I don't believe the response then is not to conduct background checks, nor do I believe we should disregard information that can be obtained from that information, such as a person's history of violent behavior toward people. Requiring a background check really comes down to a risk assessment in my mind. I don't want to exclude, but want to ensure the safety of the surrounding community and other residents. So I really see that this would provide additional information that can be considered during the screening process. So therefore, this amendment essentially threads the needle and introduces specific criteria when a background check is required. In other words, it contains a threshold analysis and recognizes there are some individuals that we absolutely need to learn more about. It focuses on those individuals with sexual assault convictions and those individuals that have demonstrated past violent behaviors. My understanding is that this amendment has the support of the county. So I urge your, I urge your support. Thank you. Further discussion? Question is on the motion to execute, uh, Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I would like, to, I do have a question for the staff, if you will, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, um, but, um, and Councilmember uh, Pascal did just say this, but uh, I wanna make sure that it's not the council saying this, that we understand um, what we heard from D uh, Director Floor and that it's true that um, that this is the narrow circumstance in which the county would be willing to do a background check? And I, I'll just add a little bit of color commentary. You know, we're not in a pure legislative role. We are in the role of negotiating a contract with the county. And so um, I think it is incumbent upon us to understand sort of what the meaning of um, modifications to the agreement might mean with respect to uh, reaching an agreement with the county. Thanks. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, thank you, Council Member. The county would support this amendment. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, I first want to thank Councilmember Pascal for bringing forth this motion. Thank you to King County for collaborating on, on this and sharing your input on it. I really appreciate and respect uh, how collaboratively we work together as a council. I think that's really being demonstrated here tonight. Um, and I appreciate all the public input as some of my colleagues have shared. Um, as well as stakeholders, community members that have that have shared these you know thoughts with us over the past year or so, these issues are not easy. Uh, and in my perspective, I believe we each have good intent, uh, even when we disagree. We all want to keep our loved ones and our neighbors safe. Um, I've shared before that I don't support a general blanket national background check as part of this process, and I really appreciate um, the, the nuances here and the, and the specific situations that Councilmember Pascal is um, proposing that we would uh, agree to, uh, to have criminal background checks for potential residents. I wanna say that as a mom of three young kids, I care deeply about the safety of children um, and the rest of our community. I also care deeply that our community members are treated fairly, regardless of gender, race, age, disability status, or other demographic characteristics. And if we were to do a blanket one, which um, it sounds like we are not considering that on, on this motion, um, we wouldn't be treating people fairly if we require that some of our residents and not others undergo a criminal background check before moving into potential new housing. For example, there's an in-home childcare facility very close to my home. And the folks who sold us our home did not require us to undergo a criminal background check before we moved in. I don't see how this should be any different for folks seeking to live in this home. 
The only difference I see here is that future residents of this building are disabled and or older and have experience being unhoused. The requiring a criminal background check is not in alignment with our values of equity. It would be quite the opposite. That said, um, I appreciate the compromise here with Councilmember Pascal's um, motion tonight, and so I will be supporting it. Thank you. Thank you. Further discussion, Councilmember Nixon. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, my thought had been that Councilmember Pascal's proposed amendment would be a fallback position if a stronger amendment requiring universal background checks uh, had failed. Um, and so uh, I want as many background checks as we can get. And I think it would be most fair for everyone to have a background check. But um, I won't vote no on this because I think a stronger one is needed. I will vote yes on this. Um, I will still um, propose the amendment that I have uh, sent out earlier today and would like it to be considered. If they both pass, then we will have to resolve the differences between them. Um, and so that would be an additional task uh, that we have set up for ourselves as a result of not doing the strongest amendment first. Um, but uh, but I'll, I'll support this, but uh, I don't think it goes far enough. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? The question is on the motion to approve the Paschal Amendment as presented. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? The motion passes. Any further amendments? Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I would like to move the amendment uh, number two uh, that was uh, distributed uh, earlier today. We can bring that up, I think. Thank you. Well, this says, there we go, amendment number two. Um, so what this amendment would do, I'll explain it first rather than just read the text, is require a criminal background check, a report on every prospective resident. Um, but it would not be screening. There would be no automatic um, disqualification of someone as a resident by, as a result of this uh, background check. The background check would, would be provided for consideration as part of the suitability review. Uh, there would be no bright line that says if you have a certain level of violent crime in your background that you are excluded from the facility. Um, but it would be information, and, and, and we need to remember that the agreement already has language that says criminal background information will be considered if it's available. But it can't be considered if it's not available, so we ought to make it available. Um, so that information would help improve the safety of the residents and the staff of the facility by uh, having the staff be aware potentially of previous uh, violent criminal acts by a resident. Um, uh, it would also help to craft uh, programming uh, for the individual residents based on their background, based on their lived experience that directly addresses 
the situation they are in in their life. And if there's no information about someone's previous criminal background, there's no way to address that in the program that they receive. Um, and so um, uh, I move the adoption of the uh, amendment as sh currently shown on the screen. Thank you. Moved by Councilmember Nixon. Second. Seconded by Councilmember Pascal. Discussion. Further discussion from Councilmember Nixon? Discussion. Question is on the motion to adopt amendment number two, introduced by Councilmember Nixon. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? No. no. Motion fails. Any additional uh, amendments? Well, there may be some additional amendments that don't involve screening. Correct. Yeah. We move on to a additional amendments that don't involve screening. Councilmember Nixon. Yes, thank you, Madam Mayor. I have four. Um, the first one, my amendment number one, is, is a um, simple clarification of the language in Section uh, 2A. Um, the way it was written before uh, uh, could have been interpreted as the city is required to concur in the county's selection of a provider. And I simply wanted to make it clear that the city has the discretion to concur or not to concur uh, in the county selection of a provider. Uh, and I, I discussed this with staff. They agree that was the intent. Um, and so this is simply clarifying what was already the uh, intended understanding. So a mo motion from Council Member Nixon on yeah, amendment number I move one. adoption of this amendment number one. Second. Moved by Council Member Nixon, second by Council Member Curtis to adopt amendment number one introduced by council member Nixon. This further discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? The motion carries. Council member Nixon. Uh, so next to, for consideration is my amendment three. Um, as we all know, there was some amount of controversy over the process by which the La Quinta site was selected. And in fact, um, some people in the community believe that it was kept from the public longer than the Health Through Housing Implementation Plan really allowed it to be kept. And we wanted to ensure to the maximum degree possible that the process for considering any additional sites for permanent supportive housing through the HTH program in Kirkland would precisely follow the steps in the implementation plan. Um, so that the public would be involved and have an opportunity for input before uh, the, a, a site is selected and a contract placed on the property. And so uh, that's what this amendment would do, and I move uh, adoption of amendment number three. Second. So moved by Council Member Nixon, seconded by Council Member Pascal to adopt amendment number three. All those in favor, or any further discussion? Councilmember Black. <laughs> uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, quick question for the staff. Um, as I 
read this amendment. Um, this does not require anything of the county other than to comply with their implementation plan. Is that true? That is how we read it. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Councilmember or Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I'm going to be voting against this amendment. It's not uh, our role as the Kirkland City Council to ensure that the county is following their own policies. Uh, although, uh, you know, if we're running our own policy, if we're running our own process, it, it, it may be different. Secondly, uh, this amendment talks about future agreements, and I think any future agreement we should consider separately uh, and leave this agreement to uh, the current current facility. Uh, and so um, we'll be voting against this. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. I'll be supporting this amendment um, basically because from what I understand, it's basically a lessons learned from the process here. And I think I think this would be just more open and transparent moving forward and clear on the direction that we seek. Thank you. Any further discussion? Deputy or Council Member Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, just to briefly respond to the Deputy Mayor's uh, comment about this is a future-looking thing. The fact is the whole section is future-looking to future alternative or future sites for permanent supportive housing in Kirkland. And so if we wanted to keep this agreement focused only on the La Quinta, we would delete this section entirely. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, we have this amendment's been moved and seconded, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, I would like to uh, move for an amendment to the amendment. Of course you would. I know. <laughs> I would like to, st it's actually, uh, I think, cleanup, honestly. Um, but the comments made by Deputy Mayor did make, start making me think about how things do change in the future. And I would suggest, I think there's actually by the way, a whole much simpler way to say this without the extra uh, commentary. But without addressing that, I think we can still strike um, with step seven of and replace it with uh, public input consistent with the property siting process stated with the implementation plan. The goal being here to, uh, consistent with my question to staff, that we're simply asking we're simply stating that the county is going to be complying with its own implementation plan. We don't know what step seven will be uh, a year from now or two years from now. Uh, so I would move to strike that and replace it with the. Second. Moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Falcone to, to strike with step seven and insert the language. Madam Mayor, we have for, yeah. I see we, that. It's yeah. driving, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> So, uh, any further discussion on that? Question is on the amendment to the amendment. Uh, moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Falcone to uh, change the language to what is before us now. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. So, the question is now on the original amendment moved by Councilmember Nixon seconded by Councilmember Pascal to adopt amended amendment number three all those in favor please signify by saying aye aye, aye. opposed no motion carries is that I think the motion carries uh, Deputy Mayor Arnold 
in me. That's a no. I know. <laughs> uh, Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam, Madam Mayor. And uh, the last amendment, my number five, is very simple. Um, I've actually seen this issue in other county documents um, that uh, the King County Auditor is not the repository of records in King County government. It's the King County Recorder's Office. The auditor in King County's structure actually just performs audits. And so this is a simple editorial change to correct the, where an executed copy of the agreement would be uh, recorded. So I move adoption of amendment number five. Second. second. Moved move by Council Member Nixon, seconded by Council Member Falcone to adopt amendment number five. Discussion? Seeing none, um, question is on the motion. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? The motion carries. Any further amendments for discussion? Oh, I do have another one. I skipped over one of my own amendments. I'm watching. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, amendment number four. Um, uh, when I first read through the, um, or my most recent review of the agreement, it, it talked about um, the agreement terminating when the facility is no longer used for permanent supportive housing. But that seemed to me to be a pretty vague uh, statement and that different people could have different interpretation of what it means for the facility to no longer be being used for permanent supportive housing. And so I proposed uh, initially to add the words that the county declares in writing provided to the city that the facility would no longer be used for PSH as the triggering event. That it's not simply that somebody observes that it's not being used, like if it was vacant because of a fire or an earthquake or something like that, but it actually requires a written declaration from the county. Um, and then my understanding is that Councilmember Black um, separately wanted to amplify on that uh, and add that the effective date of that termination will be the, the, the date declared by the county. Um, so what you have in this slide is the combination of those two different ideas. Um, so rather than have an amendment and then an amendment to the amendment, we just propose the whole thing to you on the slide. So I move this amendment number four. Second. Moved by Councilmember Nixon, seconded by Councilmember Black. Any further discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Thank you. Thank you. Any further amendments? Councilman Um Mr. Lopez. Uh, Madam Mayor, thank you. Uh, with the permission of the mayor uh, and the city attorney, I thought we would call up the slide by which the county has asked for us, our staff, uh, presentation to be amended. Now, I think we would do this by a motion, city attorney, if it is agreeable to the council. But uh, Director Floor, I was wondering if you could come up and explain some of these changes. I think they are um, consistent with Director Floor's earlier statement that he they want the core database to be in the medical claims database section. I, I do think you might want to speak to case management and behavioral health at the uh, absolutely. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, the two changes in this section 
Uh, first, it would shift the core database, which again is our non-behavioral health database, into the section that requires uh, the adherence to data use agreements, and that's something that's uh, necessary for us in order to deploy the data for this purpose. Uh, and then the second is to clarify that it would be a provider conducting the intake interview. Uh, this replaces a previous version of the very specifically named a behavioral health provider, which I think gets into a specific licensure requirements. And we instead here would contemplate that it might be uh, another uh, case manager, for example, of a provider. Uh, and so those are the two changes that we have requested of staff. Thank you. Um, I need a motion. Madam Mayor, I move that we, um, I'm at a loss for words right now, I'm very tired, sorry. <laughs> I move that we amend as King County is requesting on the screen. Second. It's been moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Black. Any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? The motion carries. Mr. Lopez. I'm not sure if you'll see me here again on this topic, so. Thank you. <laughs> I think we've accomplished a lot with this, and I really appreciate everybody working so hard on it. Councilmember Falcone. Have we voted on the initial motion to resolution. adopt the oh, resolution? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is on the original motion, moved by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Falcone, to authorize the city manager to sign an the agreement? I think it's resolution 5583. As amended. Resolution 5583 as amended. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Yes, sir. Perhaps in closing. Certainly, some closing, closing discussion. <laughs> Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. This has been a long process, and we've worked very hard as a council to balance the needs of having um, the most successful, uh, having a successful facility in in uh, the location of the former La Quinta Inn, uh, based on the things that we've been hearing from uh, folks that work in this space, not only in the county but within our own community around uh, the folks that run safe parking and the shelter at Friends of Youth, and the information that we're getting from. Uh, how the county goes and does us, balancing that with community concerns that we've heard. And what you see um, out of this process is stronger than what is um, within the agreements of other communities. And I think strikes the balance of saying, how do we get people off the street and in, into homes, which is the goal all of us share. And so I'm glad to be able to and uh, proud to be able to get to this point where, where we are um, moving forward to help people. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I, I agree. I think that we got to a good place. Um, I know that there will be people in the community who are not satisfied. Um, but I would like to remind everybody that this is an important milestone but the process is not done. That there is still uh, the working out of the agreement with the provider, the, or the provider selection, the working out of the agreement with the provider, the adoption of the code of conduct for residents, all of which we will have input on and which the community can continue to have input on. And then even after the facility is opened, there will be continual reports that we receive about 
uh, how well it's working. There will be a community li liaison where people who have concerns can raise them and have them addressed. And if problems arise down the road, um, they can be considered and corrective action taken. Um, uh, like everything else that happens in government, nothing is ever truly done. <laughs> it, we always can come back and, and work on it more to refine it and make it better. Um, so I will be voting yes uh, on this and uh, expect to be actively involved for some time into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Black. You've told me in the past, Madam Mayor, to not fight you on the order, so I'm going, but I'm pretty sure Councilmember Falcon was first. Um, I was just gonna riff a little bit off of what um, my uh, colleagues have just said. Um, I negotiate contracts for a living, and one of the biggest mistakes we can make is thinking that we're done when we sign the contract. Um, that's when the work begins. Um, and so I would just, to the entire community, everyone who's expressed um, enthusiasm for this as an important solution uh, to uh, the continuum of care for everyone who's expressed concern. Um, I just remind us, staff, everyone in the community that the real work begins uh, when we welcome our new uh, neighbors to this facility. And there's so many opportunities that we have. We've talked about it before, but I just want to say it again. There's so many opportunities we have as a community to come together um, and welcome our new neighbors. And I think um, that's as important as anything we put on paper um, in the contract. So uh, not that the contract's not important. It's just equally important as what we do and how we, um, how we behave as uh, a community. So thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I really appreciate and echo the comments of my fellow council members, so thank you for that. Um, I also do wanna acknowledge that this is a significant milestone. Um, I'm hopeful and appreciative that our chronically unhoused and disabled community members will have a future permanent home in this building with the services that they need to lead a successful and a fulfilling life. So thank you so much to King County for your leadership on this effort, for choosing to involve the city of Kirkland in this effort in partnership and for working with us to come to an agreement that considers and balances the many different points of view within our community. A huge thank you to Deputy City Manager Jim Lopez and Assistant City Attorney Dar Darcy Eilers for your hard work and dedication on behalf of the City Council and the people of Kirkland. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our stakeholders and community members who have engaged with us over the past year plus during this process. Kirkland, I mean, we say it all the time, it's a little cliche, but it's true. This is why we say it so much that Kirkland is a really, really special place to be. And this facility will make us an even better and more inclusive city. I'm really looking forward to welcoming the new residents, our neighbors in this building. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Curtis. I, I was reluctant to speak because I feel like I've said my thank yous all, many, many, many times. But I will again extend my heartfelt gratitude for everyone that's been involved with this. Uh, Deputy Mayor, Darcy, Mr. Flores, Kelly Ryder, the community, Eastside Prep, um, everybody that's been involved. And it, as everyone has said already, this has been a challenging process. We will continue to keep an eye on it and move forward. And I'm really looking forward to housing our new neighbors. Uh, Member Curtis, point of order. 
you said deputy mayor. We love the deputy mayor. <laughs> and we think he's great, and we deputy appreciate his role, but I think manager. you meant deputy city manager. <laughs> okay. And I'll just finish it off with thank you all. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of this council for doing this. Um, I'm really proud of, of, of the county for working so hard to get us someplace where we could actually go. And now can we please go there? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you, Jim. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you, Council. Okay. You want to take the break now? I figured that might be the case. Oh, the vote. Sorry. Question is on the motion to adopt Resolution 5583 as amended. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. The motion carries unanimously. Thank you very much. Okay, we will now take a 15-minute break. Thank you. We are back to our regular meeting and our business agenda, item number two, um, which is uh, our budget adjustments for the 2022 carryovers. Uh, right. George, be kind to us with a brief report tonight. <laughs> well, okay. Go ahead, City Manager. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, so. Uh, George Dugdale, our financial planning manager, is going to make this presentation. These are budget items that did not get completed last year that need to be carried over to this year's budget. So take it away, George. Okay. Thank you, City Manager. Um, so good evening, Mayor, Council. We have nine slides for you this evening to run quickly through the carryovers and some additional FTE authority for the Kirkland Fire Department. While I have the cover of the 23-24 budget on this slide, I do want to quickly take uh, let Council know that we've posted the final 23-24 budget book to the city's website. So the schedule for budget adjustments during this biennium, um, so March is the in the first year, is traditionally our first opportunity to do budget adjustments. They're primarily carryovers, as the city manager said, which are unspent items from 21-22. Um, and as you can see from this slide, we have four further scheduled adjustments. The next is in June 2023, and we recognize year-end 22 balances and bring operating and capital adjustments. Just quick background on the um, carryovers themselves. As I briefly mentioned, they primarily bring forward appropriation from 21-22 that will be unspent and spent in 23-24, normally in 23 and the process is designed to be for discrete projects, contracts, and invoices that are continuing into 2023, rather than carrying forward general unspent appropriations. In this adjustment set, we are also recommending the addition of 11 FTE positions in the Kirkland Fire Department that I will discuss um, in a later slide. And as you can see, the total appropriation change in this adjustment set is just over 7 million, which is a little under 1% of the total city biennial budget. So the first category is for projects not completed. This is the largest category um, within this budget adjustments. Um, and I've highlighted a couple of the larger items here, including comprehensive plan work um, and transportation master plan work, which began in 2022, but which for the primary external contracts will be carried out in 23, 24. 
work in the street fund that will be used to improve the city streetlight infrastructure, and as well as a proposed carryover of citywide savings in training and travel, which you can see in the um, general fund section of that table. Departments across the city identified training and travel as an area um, that for various reasons would need additional budget in 23-24. These include new staff hirings, um, trainings missed in 21-22, either because they weren't held or because people were unable to travel, and the need to retain existing staff. So as the part of this, we are proposing carrying over the nearly 500,000 in the general fund for both training, the combined training and travel, um, and allocating it out proportionately to departments. The next category is open contracts, outstanding invoices and procurements. So some of the larger items identified here, but in all cases, these are items for which either a contract or an invoice was created in 2022, but has not yet been finished um, or was rather not finished in 2022. And the final pieces will be spent in the 2023 calendar and budget year. The final category of carryovers is the ARPA adjustments, which is specific to this process. We don't have these every year. As the council knows, the city received slightly over $10 million of ARPA funds in 2021-22. Of that 10 million, about 6.7 million was spent in 21-22, leaving a little over 3 million that's being carried into 23-24. That's this number here. Um, the first table on the slide shows that we have about $190,000 of projects with closing and about $780,000 of, of ARPA balance above the estimates we made when the original budget was put together. Um, that balance was 2.3 million. So if you add the 2.2 million we originally had, the additional above estimates and the project closures, that's where you get this $3.2 million. I also want to highlight in the top of the table there, the project carryovers number, which is just over 1.1 million. So some of this is for projects that are ongoing, but a significant portion is for projects that are either complete or being and, and or being adjusted into a different project. But instead of the money returning to the main ARPA balance, it's going directly into a new project. So a notable example of this and something I believe we have a question about is the 450,000 in rent relief phase two. This funding will be combined with the approximately 20,000 in imagined housing rent relief, um, which both of those are shown in the table in the memo, as well as 250,000 in the 2023 ARPA funds. This will be used to create two new human services grant programs that focus on two priority areas, housing stability and behavioral health. Um, the grant awards will be given to a number of organizations, including King County Bar Association, LifeWire, Eastside Legal Assistance Program, and others. Um, so as I said, there was a council question about the unspent balance in this phase two housing project, the 400, um, just over 450,000. Um, so we have some information on that. Um, the program, unlike phase one, was not something that was open to public application, but was instead open to households who either did not receive through uh, assistance through the King County program, who were or were in the phase one of the city's rental relief program, but still had rental arrears. There was a total list of 117 households on this list. Of those households, 32 received rental assistance, and of the remainder, 25 were found to be ineligible, and 55 did not respond. That, that left us with the 450, uh, just over $450,000 balance, which, as I mentioned, is being carried into 2023 and used for two new ARPA projects, but in the same area. Um, as a final note on this slide, um, once the approved 
project adjustments and the plan 2023 projects are accounted for. The city has approximately 1.4, just over $1.4 million in unallocated ARPA funds. So um, moving away from the financial carryovers, the final area here is the additional position authority. So in recent months, or um, the King County vaccine mandate was the vaccine mandate was lifted, and the city has reached out to former firefighters who separated during that mandate to inquire about their return. Currently, fire staff believe that up to nine former firefighters may return. Additionally, the city has up to 10 firefighters either in the current academy or the next academy that I think will be run in August. Um, on the other side, we do have some vacancies, but there's also a number of current firefighters who are eligible to retire who may do so soon, but have not informed the city of that intention. Therefore, due to the due to both the um, active recruiting that we have um, following Prop 1 and because of the vaccine mandate returns, the Kirkland Fire Department, or we're, we're requesting additional authority for 11 positions that can be filled. The intention of this, although they are ongoing FTE positions, the intention is that this would be temporary. As retirements happen, these positions will initially be vacant and then will be removed for the list, from the list in future budget adjustments. The budget impacts will be monitored closely, but are currently unknown. So there are two, um, there are two factors or a number of factors, I guess, impacting the um, the budget. The hiring timelines for returning firefighters is unknown. Um, the department does have existing vacancy savings, which can be used to offset any overhires. Um, and more regular staff, if we, end, if we end up with um, a situation where we have more firefighters than we originally had scheduled, um, staff believe this would lead to a reduction in overtime. So we will be monitoring the financial impacts of this closely, but we do think the budget impacts will be limited. So my penultimate slide here shows the appropriation adjustments by the type of fund. So you can see there in the appropriation adjustments column at the bottom, the um, total budget number, just over $7 million. Um, the bulk of it in the general fund, but then spread across some of the other operating funds as well. So final slide, next step. Staff recommends approving ordinance um, 04843, amending the 23-24 budget. Um, the next budget adjustments are coming in June, and if there are any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Thank you, George. Any questions? Discussion? Councilmember Black? I didn't have a question. I was going to move the motion, or move yeah. the ordinance. Okay. Um, I move ordinance 04843. Second. Moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Curtis. Discussion? Uh, seeing none. Uh, the question is on the motion to approve ordinance 4843. Is that 48? Yes, 4843. Moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Curtis. All those in favor? Oops. Clerk, will you please call the roll? <laughs> Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Motion carries. Uh, that takes us to item C, the state legislative update number five. Uh, city manager. Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So to give us that update is our government affairs manager, Diana Hart. And we have one item uh, out of pursuits that we want to make sure we check in with the council about. Welcome, Diana. Good evening, council. Um, 
As mentioned, this is our fifth legislative update of the session. Um, getting started, we'll go over the same three topics that we normally do, starting off with our legislative calendar. Today is day 72 of the 105-day session. We've passed the House of Origin cutoff now, so with 611 bills surviving, um, um, all the bills that are being considered um, have been are either from the other chamber or have the magic NTIB uh, designation to keep moving uh, past these cutoffs. Next week is the um, policy committee cutoff, which will be followed shortly by the fiscal committee cutoff less than a week later. So the pace of session is definitely picking up from here um, with uh, just under, just over a month left to go. Um, that will take us to a status of where we are now. Um, looking at the housing-focused legislative priorities, Senator Cooter's version of the accessory dwelling unit bill had its public hearing last week and was exact out of committee yesterday with a strong bipartisan vote. During the discussion, there was mention of some changes that members would like to see moving forward. So we'll continue to work through those pieces to ensure it continues along to passage, passage this session. Representative Klopa's version of the bill did not pass out of the House prior to cutoff, so it has been returned to the Rules Committee. We don't anticipate that this version will move this year, and we will be focusing our efforts on Senator Cooter's version. And then Representative Chop's REIT bill is still in the Fiscal Committee, but it is still being discussed, like it could potentially move at some point, or could potentially be the reason that other pieces of legislation start moving like the governor's proposal to increase the capital budget limit to support affordable housing construction. Um, either way, these pieces got a lot of traction and conversation this year. So we look forward to uh, continuing moving forward um, if they are not passed this session. Now that we're back in committee mode, this slide is quite full once again with bills that the city is um, engaging on during the committee process under housing related bills. Um, we have the property tax exemption for nonprofit housing that the city signed in support, in addition to tenant protections, missing middle housing, lot splitting, addressing housing discrimination due to restrictive covenants, ADUs, funding options for affordable housing, promoting transit-oriented development. Under sustainability, we have uh, policies related to workforce program to support climate-ready communities, climate change incorporation and comprehensive planning, energy and buildings, energy labeling of homes, clean energy economy, battery stewardship. And then we testified um, this week on energy labeling of homes. Um, under reproductive healthcare, we have health data, prohibition cost sharing for abortion. Under behavioral health, we have the 988 crisis responder policy, prescription coverage continuity for behavioral health, certified peer specialists, expanding use of county sales tax for mental health and housing. And then we testified on the 23 hour crisis relief center bill. Under firearm safety, um, we have a handful of bills related to requirements for purchase or transfer of firearms, firearm related safety measures, records for firearm background checks, juvenile record access, waiver of firearm rights, rights and firearm industry public safety duties. And under our general principles, we have extreme weather event response, tourism support, state broadband map, addressing consumer gender discrimination, equity in public works procurement, traffic impact fees, use for bike and pedestrian facilities, and deterring illegal racing. We did not sign in opposed to legislation since our last meeting. And that takes us to um, a quick discussion over a couple policies. 
I'll start with the same flag that the bill tracker stated position in the packet is the recommended position by the legislative work group and is considered acknowledged by council after this discussion unless you want to pull out any for further conversation. Starting with Blake, the 5536 is still the primary vehicle for the uh, Supreme Court's Blake decision fix that the legislature attempted um, to address a couple of years ago. This bill had its public hearing in committee yesterday. As I mentioned last time, we are still um, we still expect more changes, the details as it goes, but assume that knowing possession of controlled controlled substances will be a gross misdemeanor with off ramps for from jail sanctions and criminal record paths for those that accept substance use disorder treatment options. On missing middle, Bateman's 1110 had a public hearing last week and is scheduled for an executive session tomorrow. There are no amendments currently posted to the legislature's website, but we still anticipate further changes to this policy. One of the major housing bills that, um, one of the other major housing policy bills that is still moving is Senator Leas's transit-oriented development bill, 5466. Puget Sound Regional Council released maps last week that overlaid the maximum impact areas of this um, planned high capacity transit in the region um, with the areas that this bill or with the uh, radius that would be impacted by under this bill that definitely tracked a lot of engagement by cities and legislators to ensure that they're hitting the right balance to encourage transit oriented development without unintended displacement of marginalized communities. This bill was scheduled for an executive session this afternoon, but that meeting was canceled as members continue to meet and discuss options for this bill. And then as um, city manager teed up, vehicular pursuits has seen some drastic changes from our last meeting. Last we spoke, the two house bills were still alive and their chances weren't looking particularly good. Then on the last day of cutoff for the house of origin, um, the Senate pulled some drastic procedural motions with a very unique bipartisan group to bring Senator Lubbock's version of the bill 5352 to the floor for a vote. Senator Dingra brought forward the amendment that was ultimately adopted. This version as it passed out of the Senate is seen as a strong middle ground proposal, which was reflected in the very mixed bipartisan vote for and against. Of note, the current version lowers the evidentiary threshold that a person um, in the vehicle has um, committed or, or sorry that the current version lowers the evidentiary threshold required for engaging in a vehicular pursuit from probable cause to reasonable suspicion that a person in the vehicle has committed or is committing specific criminal offenses that include a violent offense, sex offense, vehicular assault offense, escape offense, DUI, or domestic violence in the first through fourth degree offenses. This threshold is higher than the blanket reasonable suspicion threshold that existed prior to the legislature raising it to probable cause a few years ago. Pursuits are also limited to situations in which the subject of the pursuit poses a serious risk of harm to others and that not pursuing the vehicle would be of greater risk to the community than the pursuit itself. Pursuits may also only be performed by officers trained to perform pursuits and the amendment contains language regarding supervisor control of pursuits. These changes make the proposal fairly in line with Kirkland's own pursuit policy as it existed prior to the change of the legislature. Due to this, our subject matter experts recommended a position of support, which was a change from their previous monitor recommendation, which does bring me to um, some of what I mentioned last time was that occasionally our subject matter experts do recommend position changes based on policy changes to bills as they're amended throughout the session. Some other examples of bills that 
have had recommended policy changes that the legislative work group supported was 5466, the promoting TOD bill, um, which was changed from support with modifications to supports. Um, 1134, which is the 988 Behavioral Health Crisis Responder Bill, um, which was changed from support with modifications to support. And 5290, consolidating local permit review processes, which was changed from support to support with modifications. And with that, that's what I have for you tonight. As always, happy to answer any questions you have and turn it back to you. Questions? Councilmember Cruz, you want to? I'll kick us off. Um, I'm back. <laughs> um, I just want to always thank the work group for their teamwork and flexibility. We decided on Monday to testify on HB 33 tomorrow, and Councilmember Black kindly agreed to testify at 8 in the morning, and this is how hard your team's working for you. Um, so we did want to elevate vehicular pursuit because I knew council would be very interested in this bill. Um, we have been watching it very, very closely. We recommend uh, switching our position to support our legislatures, legislators and our chief are supporting this bill. Um, chief Harris did reach out to Senator Dingra to thank her for her floor amendments. Um, as Diana said, it's it's. Uh, it strikes a good balance between uh, community safety and um, pursuits for reasonable suspicion for pretty serious crimes of violent felony, domestic violence, sexual assault, and vehicular assault. I did talk to the chief on Monday. My understanding that, as Diana said, this is more restrictive than our previous police pursuit policy um, and that we do train our officers in both uh, intervention techniques and evac, which is emergency vehicle operator course. So, and we also had previously required and will continue to rise, require supervisor approval for pursuits. Um, I do, on a personal note, do want to add that I, I personally am disappointed that the bills that, that um, were interested in a long-term study didn't go forward. I asked the chief about that. Um, she did say that we KPD does not engage in many pursuits, but we are seeing an increase in people fleeing traffic stops. So we have created a new clearance code so that we will, KPD will be tracking that data of how many people are not stopping or fleeing after they have been stopped. So um, the work group does recommend that we switch our, um, our position to support, and I wanna see if any other members have anything to say. Go ahead, Councilmember Black. Uh, Diana and Councilmember Curtis did such a nice job of mm -hmm. describing uh, 5352, uh, the vehicular, vehicular pursuit bill, and framing it up. I, I guess I would just add my, my support uh, for us moving this to the support agenda for all the reasons said. Um, and just as a reminder, uh, you know, this is a striker amendment, floor striker amendment by Senator Dingra our very own uh, chair of the Law and Justice Committee. And although it comes to us with a sort of un unusual procedural um, measures, um, our, our subject matter experts um, uh, have uh, suggested that we support and our, uh, our delegation in Olympia generally supports the bill, so. Agree and additional comments. Councilmember Pascal and Councilmember Falcone. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, thanks for updating us on this um, this bill. I know it's been one that I've been tracking and, and following. So 
uh, pleased to see that we're able to support it. Um, Councilmember Curtis, something that you mentioned saying that the chief and the KPD are gonna be tracking uh, this uh, in our community in terms of the number of, of uh, vehicles that flee. <clears throat> uh, I guess the city manager, I, I'm hoping that that type of information could be uh, included in the quarterly police uh, dashboard. I'm wondering if that's yeah. information and maybe um, a d the deputy chief could respond. Is that information that might be okay to um, document in the, in the quarterly report? Absolutely, council member. We can definitely include that in the quarterly reports coming forward. Uh, we have that clearance code in place and we can start tracking that much more accurately now. Thank you. Super. Councilmember Falcon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, thank you, Diana and KPD for reviewing this bill. And thank you to the legislative work group for bringing forth this recommendation. <clears throat> I really appreciate, Diana, that you've addressed tonight some of the questions that I submitted earlier around defining reasonable suspicion and around the details of what types of suspected offenses would allow a police vehicular pursuit. Gosh, this is such a complicated issue that I can only imagine how incredibly challenging it is for law enforcement officers to make a risk assessment on the fly, um, among many other decisions that officers need to make on the fly. You know, the officers need to weigh the risks of injury and loss of life of, to themselves and innocent bystanders against potentially protecting those in immediate danger due to the person fleeing. Uh, that's why, you know, I share Councilmember Curtis's uh, personal uh, concern. I think it's unfortunate that the state legislature didn't decide to support a bill that would have initiated a study of police pursuits so that these types of risk assessments can be better informed, keeping everybody safer. And without such a study to inform a decision on this matter, I just can't lend my support of Kirkland supporting this bill. I do, however, really appreciate Chief Harris offering to track and share data of folks fleeing um, traffic stops, and I'd also like to add um, tracking all of our police vehicular pursuits highlighted in those um, that data as well. I know that's something that is a rare occurrence here in Kirkland, but I think as this is something that the community is, has a lot of interest in, um, just would like to have that reported as well. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Just a quick question for Deputy Chief. Um, do, we, do we currently get any data on how often somebody who flees a traffic stop or whatever is subsequently contacted because we had their license number and we could go to that house or something like that. How often do these situations where somebody flees get resolved later by whatever means? Thank you for that question. I, I don't have a percentage. Uh, obviously a lot of these are in stolen vehicles. And so the license plates don't really do us much good. Uh, we recover the stolen vehicle somewhere in the region. Um, usually there's several reports that are tied together, uh, interagency cooperation with detectives that are following up on these types of things. Um, in some of the cases, we know who the driver is, and then we will follow up uh, often with our PROACT team and try to um, follow up and arrest them at a later date. So uh, we do have some success with that, but many of these are stolen vehicles and you know, they're pursuing because they know no one can chase them right now. 
Thank you. And, and so that's an additional data element that I would be interested in seeing is not just how many flee, but how it ultimately is resolved or not resolved and what that data is because and it would be nice to have that statewide. It would be nice to have the study that was proposed because it maybe it could have included this. Um, but that would help us understand the scope of the problem. And does it work to use alternative means to apprehend people? Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Sounds like somebody needs to put together some kind of tracking for an addition to the, to the um, dashboard. Um, so do we need to see if there are enough head nods to move forward to a support? Then we will change our status to support. Um, and I think that's it, right? Anna, are you not going to talk about the capital budget? Oh, um, oh. <laughs> super exciting news. That's good um, news. <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, Council Revenue, or the, Reve the Washington State's Revenue Forecast Council released their budget estimates or their revenue estimates on Monday with some like mixed things are not super horrible, but things aren't super great sort of forecasts as we expected them to release. Um, but that morning, the Senate released their capital budget, which included a full request for the uh, Kirkland Performance Center and just over $500,000 for the Hawk Crossing, which is super exciting. So the first big hurdle is crossed with like great success. Um, we'll be staying tuned for the House to release their version next week, um, as that will be the next big hurdle, and then making sure that whatever um, final deal is worked out between both chambers includes our projects in them, but um, great first sign that our projects made it in, especially the um, KPC being in there with a, a request of over a million dollars. It's pretty um, atypical for the capital budget, so to have the full request in there is a is a great first step. So very excited to see that in there. And thank you for the reminder to include that. <laughs> okay, I think we are done. Thanks, Diana. Thank you. That takes us to our next agenda item, which is the special events program updates. Take us home on this one. City manager. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. So yes, we're hoping for a final action, although there might be a few short amendments. Um, but to give us that presentation is our Deputy Director of Parks and Community Services, John Lloyd. Good evening, Councilors. Give me a second to get the slideshow started and get screen share, which always takes longer than you think it will. Thank you. Get my notes page back up. Okay. Thank you, City Manager Triplett. Good evening, City Council. Tonight, I have a very, very short presentation to continue our discussion about special events. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to review all of our previous discussions, but rather we'll focus on the changes and updates since our last discussion in February. Um, as City Manager Triplett just mentioned, it is our hope that we have addressed all your questions and concerns and that you will approve Ordinance 04842 which provides updates to the Kirkland Municipal Code 1924 related to special events. Um, so jumping right into things, 
At our last meeting in February, there were a few additional changes requested by various council members. Uh, I'm going to summarize those various actions um, on the next couple slides, and then we can um, jump into any questions that you all may have. Um, there was a question about events scheduling and prioritization, uh, which is addressed in KMC 1924.050. Um, Council Member Nixon and Deputy Mayor Arnold requested an additional criterion related to tourism and economic development be added. Uh, we've added the criterion shown here, uh, which states the event will generate a positive economic impact by attracting out-of-town visitors to Kirkland and increasing visitor expenditures in Kirkland. Additionally, uh, Councilmember Curtis requested the rules be expanded to allow for more than just beer or wine um, at special events for things like a whiskey tasting event, for example. Uh, upon further review, the special occasion license required to serve alcohol at special events already allows for spirits to be sold. Uh, historically, the city has interpreted beer and wine as a generic term which include for alcohol, um, and special events have been allowed to include one signature cocktail um, in addition to beer and wine. Um, to ensure there's no misinterpretation of the code, uh, we do recommend changing um, any reference to beer and wine gardens to alcohol service areas uh, or slight variants of that, which are outlined in the, the ordinance. Um, last time we had uh, this conversation, there was a lot of concern over the uh, impact of the, the proposed fee structure, uh, specifically on some of those uh, events that are funded by the city, um, which are free to attend. Um, in the memo, I outlined several of the recommendations that, that you all made. Um, and after further consideration, rather than introducing several new criteria or trying to really shoehorn in uh, a different fee schedule for certain organizations, um, we recommend that any additional park use fee discounts be included in a separate agreement um, with the city. Um, this is addressed in KMC 1924.190, uh, which is shown on the screen. Essentially, it states that the fees can be waived if there's a separate agreement that says so. Um, so hopefully that's straightforward and addresses that concern. We previously presented updates to the code related to penalties for violation. Uh, the intent of these edits was to um, provide a little bit more flexibility for staff to hold the event organizers accountable um, to meet the, the conditions of the permit. Upon further review, the changes actually did not comply with the state statute on monetary penalties. Um, so we have updated the recommendation, um, which retained the original intent, but is written in a manner that complies with, the, with this statute. Um, so our laws are legally compliant. Um, and then finally, an earlier proposal, we had suggested eliminating community program from the definition, from the events defined in the KMC. Uh, that was due to that cycle's recommendation uh, related to event limits. However, with the most recent and current proposal related to event limits, we do want to maintain this definition in there because community programs are exempt from the overall limit for events. Um, in addition to keeping this in the code, um, we actually also update recommending it to provide greater clarity um, that these are ongoing events more than just one or two times. Um, so we've, we've added typically at least four weeks in duration um, to this definition. So those are the, the changes since our last time. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions about our, our fixes or um, changes, or I can continue on to the, the ordinance and potential amendments and, and discuss the next steps if you would like. Uh, 
Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, to start, I'd like to move approval of Ordinance 4842. Second. Second. Moved by Councilmember Nixon, seconded by Councilmember Black uh, to approve Ordinance 4842. Discussion. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, so over the weekend, after reviewing the, the packet, I had several questions for staff regarding event timelines and service level commitments and those sort of things. And um, uh, it was explained that many of these things are addressed in other uh, process documents and not directly in the code. So that I was fine with that. But that left me with three very short amendments, um, uh, which I sent out earlier today. And, and um, the first one on the screen, please. Thank you. So uh, the First Amendment, um, uh, I, I noticed that the Section 6C um, spoke about the special event service team in kind of, kind of a, a way of explaining why it exists as opposed to stating what it does. And so I proposed uh, amending it to change was established to insure to insurers. And instead of saying to collaborate, to change it to collaborates. And so that's the first amendment. Um, the second amendment. Do you want to move that amendment? No, I'm going to move them all at once to save okay. time. Because <laughs> the, I think they're non-controversial. If anybody wants to move to divide, they can move to divide. Um, the second amendment is uh, just a simple wording cleanup. Instead of date slash venues, it spells out dates and venues. And a couple places where there's a one ST in parentheses after first just replaces that with day. So it says first day of the month in both places. And then the Third Amendment, um, the previous language said that it would be approved, it had to be approved by any involved yeah. city department. And that could be interpreted as meaning only one of several that, that need to approve it. And so I'm proposing to amend that to say that all involved city departments have to approve in order for the permit to be deemed complete. Um, so I uh, would like to move approval of these three amendments. Second. Second. We move by Council Member Nixon, seconded by Council Member Black, the three amendments. Any further discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Motion, or nay, noes. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Motion carries unanimously. The question is on the amended motion. There was one, there was one other amendment presented by uh, Councilmember Falcone. Oh, there was. I'm sorry. I, I missed that one. Go ahead. So, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, first, I just want to say, wow, we've been working on this for quite some time. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, Director Lynn Wagstra, Deputy Director John Lloyd, and Sudi for all of your hard work on this and for your patience with us as we continue to have feedback even tonight. Um, this looks great. We've made a lot of progress. I just have a few minor pieces of feedback. I will start by um, making a motion for an amendment, and then I have two other just uh, minor pieces of feedback. I also, like Councilmember Nixon, think this is a very non-controversial amendment. Um, my amendment, most of it is on the screen, but there was also stuff recommended, um, some cleanup of other criteria that were on there to add the word the. Um, I have to look at my email to see what that was. It was in this same section, items three and four, just stated event, yada, 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 and the rest of them say the event. 
So that's what the clarification so just is. So consistency staff yeah. had asked that I also include adding the at the beginning of items three and four in addition to this. And um, just to pull up my notes here, um, I really like the criteria we've developed for evaluating special event applications. Um, and this is the fifth bullet here. Um, I like this and I wanna be sure that it doesn't become just a check the box criteria that like, you know, you gave a small token donation and you, and, you, and you get points for this. I really think it should be the extent of that. That said, I really wanna make sure that my intent here is clear, that it's not to let larger events that can afford to donate a greater dollar amount to gain more of an edge here, rather that it's considered in proportionality to the event. So in other words, like a $1,000 donation from a small event is much more extensive than a $1,000 donation from a very large event. So that's a little bit nuanced, but I just wanna make sure that intent is clear here, that we consider the size and proportionality of that. So I move that we amend items, uh, criteria items three and four to add the word the, and then at the beginning, and then also the language here, um, the extent to which is added at the beginning of criteria number five. Second. To move by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Nixon, uh, to accept the Falcone amendments. All those, oh, discussion. Uh, I, I just wanted to say I appreciate you bringing this forward. Um, uh, it did pr previously read like it was a simple yes or no question. And the fact is, is that all of these criteria are subjective and discretionary on behalf of the staff and their guidelines that the council is giving to the staff and how to prioritize different events that are asking for the same event at the same or the same venue on the same date. And so um, I appreciate you bringing this forward. Thank you. Any further discussion? Question is on the motion moved by council member Falcone, seconded by council member Nixon to, um, to add the Falcone amendments to Ordinance 4842. All those in favor, oops. Yeah, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? The motion carries. I will also second that comment from Councilman Nixon. I appreciate uh, Councilman Falco bringing that up because that is a great clarification that it is to the extent that they support the nonprofit. Thank, Thank you, John. Just check the box. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, I really like where we've landed on the two-month application window starting 13 months out. I like that we're moving away from a first-come, first-serve approach, which, as we know, was not equitable. And given that our intent here is to be fair and to encourage new and diverse events in our city, let's be sure to publicize this. It would be great to announce it perhaps in the near future that we've, that we've made this change, and then again when it's almost 13 months from the start of peak event season. And let's also tie into that messaging that we have dedicated funding for diverse community events. We want to be inclusive here, so let's, you know, let's avoid industry jargon around events planning because we want to welcome new event organizers that may not know uh, terminology. So I just want to make sure that the way that we say it is really clear. Uh, we want fo new folks to organize diverse cultural events in Kirkland, so I'm really excited for this. Um, and then my third piece of feedback on this tonight is that I just want to confirm that we're moving away from allowing only one mixed drink per event. I know that's been the policy. I know this ordinance is very um, open, right? It doesn't, it doesn't specify, but that's been our practice and policy is my understanding is that we've only allowed one mixed event, one mixed drink per event. Um, and I just want to make sure that, um, it, that we update our policy if needed to reflect that. 
and that's it. Thank you, and well done. Okay, question is on the motion to approve Ordinance 4842 as amended, moved by Councilmember Nixon, seconded by Councilmember Black. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. This takes us to the next and final item, which I believe is Resolution 5581, um, expressing support for King County's REPLUS pledge uh, to minimize solid waste. Councilmember Nixon. Um, thank you. I think first someone should move, someone other than me should move adoption of the resolution. So moved. Second. It's been moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Deputy Mayor Arnold. Discussion? Councilmember Nixon. Thank you. Um, yeah, I support almost everything that's in this REPLUS pledge. And um, uh, would have no problem voting for this resolution if the REPLUS pledge um, and its explanatory information was focused on preserving landfill space and not wasting resources. The fact is the document is just pervades, per, pervaded by information about climate change and CO2 emissions, which I don't think is the point of this. And you all know I'm a climate change skeptic. At least I'm, a, I'm skeptical that reductions in CO2 emissions are going to make any difference in the climate. Um, and so I intend to vote no on this resolution. Just wanted that to be in the record, which is why I asked for it to be pulled. Thank you. Question is on the motion to um, approve resolution 5581, moved by Councilmember Falcone, second by Councilmember Arnold. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries six to one. Okay, I believe that takes us to council reports. And I think I'll start with Deputy Mayor Arnold tonight. Thank you, Madam Mayor. The one thing that I wanted to highlight is uh, Councilmember Black and I heard from Cub Scout PAC 550, who we had made a presentation to uh, earlier in the year that recently did a two-hour cleanup at Houghton Beach Park where the scouts uh, picked up lots of glass and trash, especially among the rocks, and I wanted to acknowledge their work and uh, thank them for that service project. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Just a couple quick things, um, just to kind of update on. Um, this past weekend was beautiful, and uh, had the opportunity to go on a bike ride. For the East Rail organized, helped organized, and Got to talk proudly about all the great things that Kirkland's doing. That was fun, um, and then and then before that, you know, get up early and throw out the first pitch, <laughs> the little league um, with the mayor. So that was that was a great time too. So. He threw two strikes. <laughs> she. <laughs> I wasn't. You're right. So maybe I was cheating a little were, bit. Yeah. It still was. You're a good ten feet in. <laughs> You, you learn to do that, uh, you know, after the time that you do it from the mound and it, it goes over the, the little kid's head. Yeah, that happened to me last time. Um, and then on terms of the regional committees, did uh, um, 
Kimberly sent out a summary from the Regional Transit Committee last week. I think a couple, just the only thing I'd highlight is that if you haven't looked at it, it, it is a nice uh, PowerPoint slide deck of the K-Line update. Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, they, they had a great presentation on on the status of, of the K-Line. The one thing that, that we should just be aware of is that as they're finalizing the 10% design, they'll be coming to us and the King County Council to reach agreement on kind of those key design elements that we need to agree to, um, and Bellevue as well. Um, so that, that will be coming in, in 2024. And then next meeting, um, be a really, some couple interesting topics around the service recovery plan. Um, and because we do still have some transit uh, service that hasn't fully um, been reestablished since COVID. And then, and then an update on the electrification and zero emission fleet um, plan. So two, two, two topics that I know members are very interested in. And then finally, they, Metro does have a new uh, general manager who was um, appointed by the county executive. Um, and she is more than willing to come and introduce her, herself to the cities. Um, in, in the county, and so I was just wondering if the council would be interested at some point to fit her in a special uh, presentation, perhaps in the mm -hmm. one of the future meetings. Yeah. I think I think the things to talk about perhaps would be zero youth fare, an update on that, um, the Metro Flex, which uh, is the new on-demand rebranded on-demand service that provides uh, service up in Juanita area. And then obviously the K-line uh, could be potential topics that she could address. Thank you. Excellent, thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I just wanna say well done tonight, Council. We'll start off with that. Got a lot of good work done. Um, just a few quick updates. Had a great SCA board meeting last week. We had a robust discussion around the King County Regional Homelessness Authority's five-year plan. Um, we had a, also a really great discussion around potentially updating the mission, vision, and values of the Sound Cities Association based on um, the DEIB cabinet's recommendations of adding language around equity to those. So more to come on that. Um, I am sure others will likely speak on this, but what an honor it was to be present for the announcement of the Crisis Center uh, last week. Or that, was that two weeks ago? Um, really well done, Mayor Sweet, in your remarks, and fantastic job to staff You know, in welcoming everybody here. It was a really proud moment for Kirkland. I was so proud of our city, proud of our staff, proud of our council, proud of, proud of our community, um, proud of our partnerships with neighboring cities and King County and the state. It just really was a, a really um, wonderful moment for Kirkland to shine. So well done, everybody. Um, tomorrow, I have, there's going to be the first meeting of the Association of Washington Cities DEIB cabinet, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, next Thursday, for our uh, men colleagues here up on the dais, I'm not sure if you're aware that your women colleagues are going to be a part of a fantastic effort that um, leaders in, in uh, Kirkland City staff are working on putting together a fantastic Kirkland Women's Leadership Summit, and the three of us are going to be on a panel during the morning of that. I, we are so honored and so excited to be a part of it. And from what I hear, there's just a fantastic sign list of folks who signed up for it. It's gonna be a really amazing, amazing event. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone for all your hard work on that. I'm really excited. Um, and I think that's all that I'll report on. Thank you.
Thank you very much. Councilmember Curtis. All I have is GMPC is tomorrow where I hope we approve the Affordable Housing Committee recommendations. And Ramadan starts tomorrow, so I wish all of those who observe an easy fast. Excellent. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, first, I just want to let anyone who's tuning in know that the men on the council did know about the Women's Leadership Summit. <laughs> um, so that's first thing. I really appreciate uh, Deputy Mayor Arnold um, mentioning our uh, wonderful uh, Boy Scout troop. And um, I do have, uh, from a regional report standpoint, I do have an upcoming meeting of the Regional Law Safety and Justice Committee. We meet every month. I don't always provide uh, the council an update on uh, what's discussed there. Uh, but this will be an interesting meeting uh, Chief Padilla from Kent, uh, Chief of Police Padilla from Kent will be providing a legislative update, which is not something I've seen before. So I'll report back, probably starting with the legislative work group, on uh, what I hear from, um, from that and the discussion that the members of that committee have around that. Um, that's, on, that's Thursday. So that's just in time for our legislative work group meeting on Friday. And um, just worth mentioning to uh, K4C, uh, we uh, outreach committee during the session, um, it really is focused on, on um, legislation um, that is of interest to the, the member cities of, the, of K4C, member cities and counties of K4C. And um, just so you all know, um, our staff, Diana and our staff has a backdoor connection uh, with K4C. So uh, our legislative work group is constantly uh, being updated with uh, the priorities of uh, K4C. So I hadn't mentioned that before. thought it was worth mentioning now. That's it. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. I have nothing to report. Thank you. Thank you. And all I have very quickly is uh, we did hold the final meeting of the wastewater stakeholders uh, governance uh, meeting that was was uh, done by the University of Oregon in conjunction with um, Seattle Utilities. Uh, the recommendations are being considered. Um, it, it, I think I offered, if anybody wants to see that report, it's, it's, it's very long, but it's very interesting. So if anybody does want to see it, um, I, I, I don't suspect that I'm going to see um, the county selling uh, <laughs> the uh, West, uh, the West Point yeah. to the city of Seattle, but um, that is one of the suggestions that came out came out of the report. Um, MUCAC or MISWAC meeting we had last week, and I think Jenna did send out the minutes already. Uh, and then I just wanted to ask. I know we still haven't formalized this, but uh, in in regard to Samantha's retiring from the Chamber of Commerce. Um, Councilmember Curtis reminded us that we probably need to do something to, to um, honor her service. And so what I'm going to suggest is that we use one of our co coins for outstanding service and honor her at our next meeting with uh, some level of proclamation in appreciation for her service for 10 years. So we'll go ahead and try and get that arranged. Thanks very much. And with that, I'll turn it over to you, City Manager. Okay, thank you. I have just a quick rapid fire things. Um, the first is, as you may have seen, we posted the Race for Executive Board officially hired our new 
director, and we have posted on our website. She started yesterday at the end of the day. Uh, she's now fully on, and we're very excited to be moving forward with that, uh, Brooke Bettner. Um, and happy to answer any questions about that, but that was a unanimous decision by the board last Thursday. Um, secondly, I know all of you got lots of <clears throat> emails about this, but there was considerable nighttime noise happening because of the 405 on-ramp work. Um, wanted to let you all know that we've been working with WashDOT and their subcontractors on that. And our conclusion was because this work continues to extend out that we're ceasing the night work. We've suspended that and now, now we're moving to daytime work. Um, while that is going to be better for the community, it's actually going to create some traffic backups on uh, around Northeast 132nd. So just uh, we think it's a very good trade-off, and we're going to try to get it done as quickly as possible. But we just make sure you knew we did cease all night work, and, and we're not going to take it back up again. Um, and then related to that, as you know, part of the work also created uh, sewage overflow into our creek, Juanita Creek, which has happened several times now. And I wanted to make sure the council did know that we are pursuing our enforcement action as we would with any other person who did something similar. And so we'll be doing enforcement and fines commensurate with um, what the code allows based on the type of uh, flow that happened. And finally, on that note, I really want to thank uh, Kelly Jones, who worked really hard with uh, the King County Public Health Department to get extra samples taken so that we could reopen that beach over this weekend, which was a sunny, beautiful day. And so we actually were all the way into the very end. And at 6 o'clock on Friday night, she was able to get clearance that we were actually able to reopen the beach so that the public could enjoy it over the weekend. So just want to thank Kelly and her surface water team and the uh, water quality team as well. So um, any questions on all that before I go to calendar? I don't see any. Okay. Uh, one other note. Um, again, I think some of you saw this, but as you might know, King County has ceased service to the South Kirkland Park and Ride as part of their normal service change. That change happened at the end of this weekend. Over this weekend, we, the city of Kirkland, put up temporary fencing around the park and ride, um, and King County put ecology blocks over all the entrances. So the decision to end service there was not made by Kirkland. It was made by King County. And we're continuing to work with WashDOT on a purchase of the site, so we hope to have more information for you soon. Um, but they continue to be working with the Federal Highway Administration to get final approval. So um, more to come on that, but if you do get questions about why there's a temporary fence, the city of Kirkland did put that up to prevent um, things to ha from happening there. And the county is still the group that is maintaining that in partnership with WashDOT because we certainly don't yet own it. So uh, much more to come. So but any questions on that? Just one. Go ahead. You might clarify. I think you mentioned South Kirkland Park and Ride, but I think I'm sorry. You meant to say Hoden Park and Ride. Oh, I meant to say Hoden Park. Listening. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I meant to say the Hope Park. Thank you. Um, all right. And then finally, I have uh, two items. I have the Metro, King County Metro General Manager for a special presentation of future council meeting, and then the Samantha St. John proclamation. Are there any other calendar events that the council wants to adjust tonight? I don't see any. Okay. That's all I have, Madam Mayor. Thank Excellent. You. And we do not have an executive session. We do not. For a change. Um, well, I just want to thank you all. This, is, uh, this has been a very important meeting. Um, Jim, again, thank you so much for helping us through a very long process. Um, but thanks so much to this council for coming to consensus as, as we usually do. And with that, this meeting is adjourned.